Welcome to the new improved Paropod season two. It's episode twenty nine altogether. You're here with your hosts, Mark and Owen. What's up? How's everyone? We're in a beautiful meadow, relaxing. Um we're actually over Zoom. Yeah. We have, <laughs> we have to clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> we are in the field. We're in separate fields. Yeah, yeah. We're in separate fields. Uh, because of enclosures <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something about that. Something about capitalism ruining nature. That's what I got at Appendix Fan. Yeah, most. that's basically <laughs> it. Appendix Fan. It's all in there, you know. But yeah, but yeah. this is our Appendix Fan spectacular. Absolutely, yeah. Appendix Fan. I hope you watched it. You better watch it. It's our recommended uh, film for this episode. We're going to be talking, going in depth, you know, sort of plumbing the depths of history of the fields, of the wells um, later on in this episode. Before then, you know, you know how it is. We're going <laughs> to, we're just going to. Delay talking about that for the about the next hour or so, and then we'll get onto it. <laughs> <laughs> so, got an hour of like short bullshit before the, the real long bullshit. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So, what you been watching? Uh, I watched watched a few things actually. Uh, I watched Iron Giant, which we mentioned. Classic. We mentioned, I think, two three episodes ago, uh, or someone mentioned it in the question, which is just underrated an, gems. It's an, yeah, it's an, it, that's what it is. It's mm. an underrated gem uh, to an extent. You know, I think everyone everyone knows about it. Everyone loves it. It's like the last great animated film, you know. Is it Spielberg? Is it? Uh, Brad Bird. Brad Does Bird. Spielberg do anything to do with this film? I don't think so. I don't have that image in my head. It's sort. It's like a Spielbergian kind of vibe, though. Yeah. You know, except for the fact that he commits suicide at the end. <laughs> yeah. Steven Spielberg would never do that. And it's kind of like E.T. as well, like the you know, uh, hapless alien mm. becomes friends with the boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like it's yes, it's made by directed by Brad Bird, who did The Incredibles and uh, something else as well, mm. and. Yeah, he's a good guy. He knows his stuff. It was also produced by... Uh, Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pete Townsend from The Who. You know The Who? Oh, yeah, I know The Who, but I don't know him. Is he's, he, like, the main got, singer or something? He's got the big nose. <clears throat> you just described, like, he's, every he's, singer ever. <laughs> yeah, every British singer from the 60s. Uh, nah, yeah, so he's, like, the main guy. So he he uh, devised this idea for a musical. Like, he was big into his, like, rock opera musicals. Oh, yeah, I, think I do know this. Yeah, he's one of these, like, guys who overdosed on, uh, like baroque pop back in the 60s mm. and he just made musicals for like 30 years he made quadrophenia uh, tommy and stuff like that mm. which are all just like you know they're all right i suppose but like <laughs> they're musicals know, they're just musicals um but he devised this idea to adapt ted hughes's uh novel the iron man uh from the 60s and turn it into like a musical kind of thing mm. but the novel the iron man is completely different to what we saw or what we see in the iron giant because the iron man's about like an iron man who comes down, but he's not, like... There's no realistic aspect to it. Yeah. And he gets buried at one point. And then the the, the boy in the story, who's also called Hogarth, uh, like, revives him or whatever, like, lifts him up from the ground mm. to battle a giant space dragon, which you also yeah. mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. It's, I was thinking, I was like, when does the space dragon come into this? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's referred to as, like, a bat space fly or something like that. But basically, the Iron Giant has to battle this this giant dragon to, uh, to save humanity. And then obviously he wins, and the dragon goes off into into space, and the the beating of the dragon's wings uh, reignites the music of the spheres, uh, and it creates like a, a perfect harmony in the universe, and so all war ends on Earth. <sighs> so basically, the Iron Man's a load of bollocks. <laughs> and Brad Bird came in, and he was like, uh, "Pete, I hate your musical numbers. I also <laughs> hate the entire premise of this of this story. Like it's too like magical and stuff." 
So you made it, you turn it into like the bare bones kind of Cold War paranoia mm. fable that, that yeah. is the Iron Giant, you it's know? It's so good. A yeah. Cold War fable, that's exactly what it's, it is. It's so good, you know? Like, he's just, he's so lovable. He's so lovable. He's like, he's, there's so, uh, Vin Diesel is, mm. is the Iron Giant, you know? This is before he was even big, before Fast and Furious and stuff. And uh, he's so emotive. He only has, I think, 25 words in the entire film, but they all... That's perfect for the Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah Groot <laughs> and all that. He's great with that stuff. But like it's it's so is that why he is that why he was Groot? You say yeah, definitely. They're like yeah. get the content to the Iron Giant. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job. Get him to be Groot. But um, uh, yeah, he only speaks like twenty five words. But he's so emotive and like the animation is so like fluid and like uh, expressive and mm. stuff. Like the Iron Giant is actually CGI. It's all CGI. Like no, oh, really? none, of, none of that is hand drawn. But the rest of it is all like classically <coughs> animated. That's not Disney. I thought it was Disney. It's actually Warner Brothers who, who made it. Um, he said the video or yeah the video of it so I, I remember the Warner Brothers sign at mm, the start of it yeah yeah and uh, it's just great like the ending the whole end scene it's just stuff that just you're just like oh my god yeah, you it's know? home <laughs> yeah fucking Superman and stuff and then obviously he stands in for something I don't know what he stands in for you know some kind of human spirit the fact that he sacrifices himself mm-hmm. like the fact that the, the nuke go- he sacrifices himself by you know, flying, nuking himself. Yeah, flying directly into a nuke. But the nuke isn't really part of the story until the very, very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more about the Cold War aspect of it. It's more about uh, the paranoia. The fact that, like, there's an enemy everywhere. And it's like, there's an iron giant stalking the forests of uh, Rockwell in, uh, in like, the middle of America. And uh, the guy, Manzi, I think his name is, like, mm-hmm. the sort of the Fed who uh, who's in Hogarth's house. He's, like, a, a tenant in Hogarth's house. And he's looking for the iron giant. Like he's supposed to, I suppose he he symbolizes all the uh, all the bad sort of impulses of of, yeah. of mankind. I suppose Western Western life, you know. He's like be mad into McCarthyism. I tell you that much. Yeah, man. exactly. And he's he just wants to hit the red button. He just wants to get things done and just lash out without any you know regard for how you know it affects people. Yeah, how it affects the world or how it affects. Uh, any of the people in the town, you know, like yeah. he he, set, he sets off the nuke, and the nuke is going to come directly back down onto the town, and everyone's like, "Why did you do that, bro?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, I didn't realize." He tries to escape, mm. and uh, the orange giant obviously stops him. And imagine it just turns into threads from that moment on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could have. That's the thing, you know. Uh, the fact that he like he like commits suicide. It's obviously a very symbolic. Mm. Uh, sacrifice. He's he's basically a robot Jesus. Yeah, who dies for our sins. Robo Jesus. Robo Jesus. That's what he is. The Iron Giant, and he uh, he dies for our sins. And uh, the end scene obviously is the resurrection. A few days later, he's uh, which is a big spoiler. Yeah, but like he uh, basically he's always there. He's always going to be there, and he's always going to return at some uh, permanently deferred date. Mm. Uh, to rescue us or to he's like watching over us at all times you know yeah but he's just a cool guy and you're like like i feel so just loved dude, by like this guy <laughs> you know he's just like just some robot living out in the snow uh waiting to to reappear it's an amazing film it is it's a fantastic film it's so underrated as well yeah it's so good because even like i was only thinking there like of the it is like that cold war paranoia but it's it's i guess because it's rockwell as well and rockwell's like you know aliens and shit yeah. so it's like a monster movie or like a sci-fi movie as well because it's got the same aspects of boat yeah it's cool and i remember the the uh the d the actual like video the like picture on it was mad like 1960s as well like it looked from that era yeah yeah it definitely plays into all that stuff i don't know it was like such a bomb when it came out which is weird yeah i don't know i don't know why that happened because it's such a 
Like, I, I don't know anyone who, who doesn't like it. And I, I don't think it's possible to not like mm. it in a way. It's like, it's just charming, you know? And there's nothing really, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's nice and short as well. How long is it? It's like 90 minutes, you know? Perfect. Perfect. You know, like, you got me, I want to watch that film now. Do you enjoy it? Yeah. So good. You got me in a, in a, in a you got to goo on me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching the clips on YouTube for the past few days. I watched it on Saturday or Friday. I just replay the ending on YouTube now. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It just works. It is a great ending. But yeah, he's Robo Jesus. That's the thing. It's it's all symbolism. Or he is the so- he is the Soviet Union or something like that. Yeah, know? something's going on there. He commits suicide. <laughs> he doesn't say be good, like I said. Yeah, that's when yeah. people come. I was, I was, <laughs> that I was so understandable. Yeah, though, you know? I thought it was well. First of all, I was like, that's ET, and I was like, I've never. Then at the end, I was like, I've never seen ET. It's like <laughs> oh, it's, it's from fucking uh, Mongo in Shrek Two. Another amazing sort of Robo act. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he's basically the bread Jesus. Bread Jesus. He's the bake the bakery Jesus. He's BJ. <laughs> <laughs> Big BJ. Big BJ. We love to see it. But yeah. Oh Mongo. Something about giant friendly beasts that just you can't go wrong with it. Mm, true. Something comforting in them. Yeah. Yeah, no. Not as comforting as a uh, Saint Maud though. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a what a cozy film. Mm. Yeah, geez. yeah. It's very toasty, very toasty, especially towards the end. Oh yeah, but, nice uh, and hot. <laughs> yeah, another film about Jesus, really. Yeah, but it's, I think it's like obviously she's a, a fanatic. Like a oh complete, man, she is terrifying. She is so fanatic, scary, you know. And she has this whole idea that she'll find salvation through through pain and like suppression of her yeah. carnal urges and stuff like that. And you have so many scenes with the I forget her name, like her. Care or the person she's gray, I don't know what her name is, yeah, whatever her name is, but the one she's gay for, or whatever, yeah, and then the in the uh, when she's gay for, and the, when she's like putting her uh, her feet into those like nailed, converse. oh man, that was awful, yeah, that was like Ugh. because that's after the point where she's sort of excommunicated, mm. um, and then all this kind of stuff, and obviously the end, like the final shot, yeah, we won't spoil that though, we won't spoil that, but it's all, it's all part of the suffering, yeah. It's not our sins, it's more like social sins. Like, she's completely, lo- she's very, very lonely. She's mm-hmm. nothing. She lives in this tiny little bedsit. She's no mates whatsoever. Uh, obviously, she had some sort of traumatic experience in a. Uh, As a student? Yeah, in like a <coughs> hospital or something. or something. And obviously, she, she fucked that up. That was so, man, that bit where like you find out what it is. Like, I went, <gasps> like, yeah. I, oh, you f- I felt it. Yeah, because it's such like a, it's like a really. Uh, it's really I, visceral and yeah. really short. Yeah, it's a really visceral scene as well. It's like her sort of giving in to her urges. And then this fucked up thing happens, sort of blurs the lines between them, you know. But um, yeah, she fucks up in the hospital and obviously she's fucked up and she's sad and stuff. But no one no one seems to care. Even the one, mm. the, the girl she runs into on the on the boardwalk only seems to care like to an extent. Yeah, and when only she, to be friendly like. Yeah, to be friendly. And then when, when, uh, when Maude is actually feel, feeling lonely and vulnerable and she wants to talk to someone... She calls that friend and she doesn't pick up. Yeah, you know, on her night out, or she she does pick up, but she's like, nah. She's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not interested. Yeah, yeah fuck that. <clears throat> you know, she's completely alone, completely uh, <clears throat> isolated in society, and uh, that's where she turns. She turns to Jesus. Yeah, she's she's like Joker. <laughs> yeah, she's the jo- she's the nurse Joker, the Christian Joker. But yeah, yeah, it's such a because I was when I was watching it. It was a little bit slow at the start, but I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, there's something weird about her. And then it was the moment, I was taking notes, and uh, it was the moment where she describes um, God's presence as being like, 
inside of her and all around her and uh being asked like nice. what does it feel like she was like it shivers and pulses i was like that was very like <laughs> very sexual uh, description there um i was like oh that's a, that's a that's a cool like you know weird insight into mod <laughs> and then later on when like god's presence is there she like full on orgasms and I was like, okay, this is not subtext. This is like literal text. Like that's, that's <laughs> like, just text it's at like, that point. Yeah, yeah. It's like there is no point taking notes of this film. Like it's just like just watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it's an experience, and like it definitely benefited from me um, not taking notes. Mm. Man, this film is fucking mental. The places it goes, and the fact that like it never. I only noticed. I didn't notice up until a certain point that we never leave mods. Uh, we are with her the entire way through this mad fucking trip that she's on and um i can't remember it was like an hour it was like the arrow point or something because this thing's only like 80 minutes as well yeah yeah it's not very long so i think it was like at the arrow point or like 50 minute point that i realized oh shit we've never actually left mods side like we this is all from her perspective (laughs) it took me that long to realize (laughs) yeah she's fucked you know she's crazy but you feel bad but also it's like well you're just you know because she is sort of, uh, I don't know, ignorant as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's points where she slaps, like, this <laughs> this woman who's dying because uh, she call, cause the woman calls her out on, like... On her, her bullshit. <laughs> yeah, on her, like, you know... Cause she's sort of in denial about her sexuality <clears throat> or her, her urges, you know. Big big theme in all those Christian films. I suppose uh, religion altogether, you know. Like, what's, what's the tie there between um, the inner urge of the animal man mm. and, uh, and this sort of... This institution, like the sort of codification of uh, of spirituality that is yeah. organized religion, and uh, yeah, she's fucked. You know, she's not good. <laughs> she's not doing good. I think she's Catholic, is it, or something like that? Protestant, I think. Is she? I don't know, because it's England, so yeah, I suppose. But yeah, it's a fucking crazy film. Like it's just so intense and so visceral. Like the violence in it isn't like super gory or anything, but it's extremely effective. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh-huh. you feel it. <laughs> you really feel it, yeah. And there's an escalation as well. And it's like, there's a real, like, nice meter to the film as well. Like, mm. it just... It's got loads of nice beats to it. Yeah, it goes like... It's like... I don't know. It's like a song. It's just like... Uh, it's like a prayer. It's like a like a prayer. Mm. Like Madonna. You know? Oh, my God. There's so many links. So many links here. We need a map. But it does have a nice beat to it. Or, like, you're never left, like... Dissatisfied. Yeah, never left dissatisfied or left bored or anything. Because, like... By the time, like the when the scene takes place, like it, like it when the scene's over, it's over. Like it didn't, it's nothing. There's no fat on it. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no fat. There's yeah. no fat on it. And everything that's that's in there is like like belongs there mm-hmm. and has a and has a purpose. It'll be addressed pretty quickly as well. Like nothing really, like there's like different interweaving kind of like threads in it, and they're all sort of resolved at different points. Like you know, it's like bubbling up, you know. Yeah. And then it comes to a boil at the end, in a very dramatic ending. Oh man, the definitely watch is, it. Yeah, I recommend everyone watches this. And you can watch it on what is it, Rakuten, or YouTube? It's on. Oh, it's yeah. on YouTube you as well. Buy it on YouTube. But I think you have to buy it on Rakuten. And you can rent it. Um, but yeah, and like I think it's also pretty cool that like this is like it's it's a story of like women basically. Like there's fuck all men involved in this, and I think it was directed by a woman. I think it's a debut actually. Yeah, Rose Glass. Yeah, which is a, an amazing, which name. is an amazing name, Rose Glass. <laughs> that's just an amazing director, yeah. Mrs. Glass. You're gonna be Ms. famous Glass. if your name is Rose Glass. Yeah, that's inevitable. But um, and then the performances are, are unreal. Yeah, yeah. Is there any men? Oh, except for the guy she has sex with. 
I'm the dude that arrives in at the start or something um, to drink with the girl oh, that's yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, that's the two fellas that are in it. Mm. That's it. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It really got fucked by the pandemic as well. Mm. But like, or like specifically the, the lockdown in like September or August. Yeah. Whatever that was. Cause yeah, because it, it's supposed film, to be released. This film would have been huge if it did, if it did come out in cinemas properly. <clears throat> like people would have talked about this as it would have been hereditary. Guarantee, yeah, yeah. I would say. Yeah, same producers as well. It kind of got fucked. And it's so disappointing because this film deserves like... I don't know if I prefer this to Hereditary. I think I'd have to watch this again, but there's definitely more to this in a way than Hereditary, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I definitely prefer Hereditary, but this is <coughs> really good. St. Maud, it's definitely uh, something you should watch, you know. It's better than like pretty much like 99% of horror films yeah. out there, you know, so... That's good enough for me. I'll you know I'll give it a watch again. <coughs> it's just pretty hard to find right now. Yeah, you have to, you have to buy it. Like I, I would have assumed it, uh, it would have got a deal with Mubi or Netflix or one of them at this stage, but not yet. But I assume it will, and then it'll get another life as well. Another, I hope it does. Another bounce. I feel like Amazon might pick this up. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of an Amazon kind of. Yeah, that's a vibe off that. <laughs> kind of a prime vibe. Yeah, prime vibe, <laughs> premium hour. Yeah, it is good though. Um, but I don't know if I prefer. I think I would prefer Hereditary because I've watched Hereditary three times. But at this stage, man, it's starting to drag a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. but like again, have watched many films three times. Yeah, I think I've only watched Hereditary once, once through, back in the day. Back in the you mind, you should hit it up again. It's on uh, Netflix, sure. Yeah, it's just such a commitment, you know. It is, yeah. It's like two hours as well. Yeah, two hours. Come on, man. Ari, and you feel Ashley. it like as well. Yeah, like it's pretty chill slow. Out. Chill out, bro. But it's fucked. Yeah, it's fucked up. Good folk car. Yeah, exactly. Folk car. That's what it's all about. This is sort of folk car as well, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, just anything. You sort of say most things are folk car, but like the relig- the religious aspects of it, and the fact that it's tied to her sexuality and. Uh, Stuff like that. Uh, plus, it's set in the city as well. There's a lot of scenery in the in the city. Yeah, Coney Island. Yeah, yeah. Like that casino place or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So Which I like, guess is just like desire. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she's like, <laughs> she's like, oh my god, I I want to go there, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I promised myself to Jesus or whatever. Mm. And it's like that that contradiction, that sort of tension, that's all the way through it, you know, and through all those sort of great films, mm. like The Wicker Man and stuff. So. Yeah, I feel like um, because it has like kind of. Babadook vibes to it in a way, but not. Not like the Babadook. I think this is better than the Babadook. This is way better than the Babadook. The Babadook. <laughs> Who says that? Uh, Babadook. 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 <laughs> but uh, it is. I think this is better. It's such a weird fucking film as well, and it's uncomfortable for the most part. Like even when you know shit isn't you know hitting the fan, it's still unbelievably uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And it escalates in a really, like, nice way. Because, like, when she's alone in that bar drinking, like, that's really upsetting. Yeah. It's like, because it's, it's so, it's so it's self-destructive so as well. <laughs> and it's so, like, desperate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he feels so bad for her, you know? Like, Nothing's just, going right for her. Yeah, she's just fucked up. And Jesus isn't helping her, you know? It's like, but she still finds him anyway, mm. you know? It's, uh, it's great. It's great. Everyone yeah, should watch it. Everyone should watch it. It's like the the best uh, horror version of Joker there is. <laughs> of Joker, <laughs> everything's just Joker. Yeah. <laughs> everything's just a different version of Joker. Yeah, there's Iron Giant, same story. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the same thing, you know. Joker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, what else have you been watching? Speaking of a film that's sort of like Joker, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. 
Caesar is basically like a monkey joke. Oh yeah, you know? man, that's when I. No, wait, Don, I haven't seen. That's when I've like watched, but I haven't properly watched. It, if you know what I mean, mm. like I've seen it, but I haven't watched it. Do you know like the main beats? And yeah, stuff? yeah, I know yeah, the main yeah. beats. Yeah, uh-huh. Koda or Ko- Kojba or whatever the fuck his name is. The Caesar. Bad, no, the bad monkey in this one. Ah, uh, he's not really in it. Like, what's his name? There's no bad monkey really. No, the guy that starts the war. No, that's Don. Oh shit! I'm thinking of Don. Don. Yeah. Wait, did Don come? Don was second. Rise oh. first. Don and and then war with Woody Harrelson. And I feel like they're, they're the wrong way around. What? I feel like they're the wrong way around. Don yeah, and Rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Don of the Planet of the Apes is one I've seen. And I've watched. I've mm. seen, but I haven't watched it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Have but you seen, seen yes, Rise? Yes, I saw that in the cinema. With uh, James Franco. Yeah. The big man. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah John yeah. Lithgow's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's not even like that good a film, but like... No, it's only all right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's only all right, but it has like certain scenes that are just... Uh, Draco Malfoy acting like a cunt. Yeah, acting the bollocks with Caesar. And it's like it's it's pulled off so well. It's one of those, uh, like it's like a it's like a sequel, but also a prequel mm. and a remake at the same time and like, a reboot. Yeah, just the way that like the the timeline of the Planet of the Apes works. Like this is set in the in the same universe as the original film, and uh, it even shows the the spaceship that is in the Icarus, which is in the original film. Yeah, that's leaving. That's yeah. It's, it, they show that leaving leaving Earth, and they they, they have a news report of. Uh, or the Icarus has gone missing in space and stuff like that, but like it's it's so uh, it doesn't like play up to the to stuff that's come before. Like it's mm. it's completely its own thing. Even with the scene where like he stands up and he says he speaks, he yeah. speaks. Like that's one of the, like the best the best sort of like twists. Like it's not even like that unexpected, but yeah, like, yeah. the way it's done is so good. You know, what's like, his he, first words? No. Oh shit! No, because <laughs> he's like he's getting fucked up by uh, Draco Malfoy. And at this stage, he's like, and he roars at him, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And th- but like the the line before he says it, Draco Malfoy goes, "All right, why do I keep calling Draco?" <laughs> like his character, he's like, uh, "It's Draco Malfoy." It's though. Basically, yeah. Tom Felton is his name, but like he's Draco Malfoy. Because even he's in this, like, he's a cunt as well. Yeah, he's just bad guy and everything. But he goes, uh, "Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape!" Which is like obviously a yeah. reference to the first film, and you're supposed to go, "Ah, oh, look, it's the first film." But then straight away, the the next line after that is just Caesar speaking for the first time ever, like a monkey or a chimp speaking for the first time ever, and he goes, "No," and like suddenly the entire universe of that, of that series completely, <laughs> yeah, completely like turns upside down. And it's not, it's like that's that's not in the original films. That's something mm-hmm. they they put in there themselves. That's an original, an original scene. And it's the perfect way to do that. You yeah, know? it is. To, yeah, like, pay homage and like to. To sort of uh, elevate call, it, yeah, call back to the original, but still elevate it and like push it in, into a completely new direction. And it's like the, uh, I think it's like the second act break is like the parts after that are like the third act. Mm. Like all the acts are really like sort of distinct as well. Yeah, they are. It's got a good like three act structure to it. Yeah, yeah, it's like very clear. But the <laughs> yeah, that second act break where he just goes no, it's like you're like oh you Jesus, it, yeah. yeah, it's like wow. And all the mo- like the the shots after that is just, I think the first one is a. Uh, Tom Felton looking fucking shocked and then it's his mate up there he's like what the fuck is that and then it's the gorilla and he's like what it's yeah like, we can talk it's like complete it just sort of uh, uh, encapsulates that sort of feeling of you know the ground falling Jesus speaking for the first time <laughs> yeah 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 fucking hell you know he's basically the, the monkey Jesus yeah you know he wakes everyone up and suddenly er- like anything is possible for the, the rest of the film like you yeah. don't know what's gonna happen it's, then, it's such. It is like it's, it's so good. It's such a good scene. That's it's like an yeah. Amazing scene. It is an amazing scene. And I think like how does the CGI and all hold up? 
It holds up pretty good. Like, yeah, I, I, I would expect not, it to. It's not that bad. Like, obviously, Caesar's expressions, like, he's his, his face is way more detailed mm. than the other uh, primates. So they look, they hold up pretty much perfect. Like, the orangutan looks... Yeah. Just looks like an, or- an orangutan. He looked amazing. I remember seeing that in cinemas and being like, that's that, that, yeah. that's an orangutan. <laughs> yeah, Maurice. And then the, the gorilla looks like a gorilla. And all the chimps look pretty, pretty, pretty good. But like Caesar's, like his face is so detailed that mm. you, can, you can you can see how it's aged. But at the yeah. same time, it doesn't really matter, you know. Like his body looks 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 fine and it's swole, is it? He's, he's pretty <laughs> pretty hench in this, you know. Chimps, they're powerful creatures. Powerful creatures. Did you ever see one of them shaved? Yeah, man, it's delight. <laughs> terrifying yeah i seen i seen one that went insane and he like plucked all his hairs out and he's just like n- he's like naked <laughs> but he looks he looks like a human that just has like a, an ape face but he's built but he's yeah yeah <laughs> like, these they are zero, so strong zero percent fat like pure muscle yeah man, it's they, terrifying they are scary you know the stuff they get up to as well they <laughs> just they ri- like they're so strong they can just rip your limbs from your body like that's how strong they are yeah and they like the you know there's a scene at the end of uh the battle on the bridge and rise of the planet of the apes where yeah. the, the gorillas like charge at the school bus mm-hmm. and there's only five of them but they push the school bus like all along all the way up to the cops mm-hmm. who are waiting beyond the mist like that's the actual strength of a gorilla like a gorilla can pick up a car that's, yeah. how, that's how strong a gorilla is like a car yeah that's a car, heavy like... that's really heavy like how did they evolve how did we lose that first of all you know yeah and you like, like, why were we so weak and you're not gonna be able to pick one of them up either a gorilla no, not even a gorilla, <laughs> like a chimpanzee. Or oh a chimp. yeah, like yeah. you're not picking even those things up. No, Jesus, they'd fuck you up. <laughs> they'd <laughs> fuck you up. Like they're fucking heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're intense, you know. But like, they're gonna inherit. How this tall earth. are they? Like, because they're pretty big in Planet of the Apes. I think they're like, f- I don't know, because they can start. They don't really stand up yeah. straight, you know. At the end of it, um, I'm looking this up. <laughs> at the end of it, he, he stands up straight next to, to James Franco, and he's the same height. But most of the time, he's like. He's like, you know, on his on his knuckles and stuff. So, you don't really see it. Five foot five. Five foot five. I could take that. <laughs> That's one animal I would not fuck with. Yeah, they're intense. Like their finger, like their hands are so big. As yeah, well. forty to sixty kg. Wait, they're not what? that big. Forty. What? Forty to sixty kg. I thought Is they were a, way bigger. A chimp. That's a chimp. That's not a chimp. Forty to sixty kg. That's that's lighter than me. Like. This is just showing me monkeys. Yeah, we're looking for... Like, ever, ever seen those videos, like, those, those street videos from uh, India where they have, like, fucking... You know those little macaque monkeys that run around in the cities there? A chimpanzee, 1.7 meters. That's more like it. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, ever see the, the, those little monkeys in India that run around and they play pranks on, like, the locals? Yeah, and they rob them. <laughs> yeah, they'll jump up and they'll, they'll, like, they'll, like, push them and they push them over ju- and then run away laughing, like, just for the kicks. But, like, the, when they push them, they go flying. Like, those people... Those those uh, little monkeys are fucking heavy. Yeah. They're, they're hench, you know? They're strong fellas. 1.7 meters is only 5 foot 6. 5 foot 7. Only 5 foot 7. 5 foot 7 is still Caesar, pretty fucking big, though. You out, bro. 5 foot 7 is still pretty big, though. <laughs> James, how tall is James Franco, then? I don't know. Oh, Caesar's different. He's a, he's like a human kind of ape, you know? But yeah, he's like a... It's just, it's just a great... It's like a classic story, you know? Like the, the mm. underdog, the revolutionary... Um, Revolutionary ape, you know. Che Guevara of our time. The Che Guevara of monkeys, of the apes. Yeah, it's so good. Actually, yep. this is probably my favorite out of the series. I love, I love every film in the series. It's a good series. It's a it very is, good series. It is. It's no very right consistent. To be, no right to be as good as it is. But this one is like, I just have a real soft spot for like how well they pull things mm-hmm. off. Like maybe not 
not like it's like as a whole it's it's a great film but like and they're sad as well yeah yeah uh-huh. like the fucking the john Lickham. he's yeah a, that's sad demented. he's like losing his mind and he dies in uh james franco's arms it's like oh my god john Lickham so is so good he's so good yeah. he that, the, he's the reason why i watched the next year season of, of uh, dexter Oh, he's the Trinity killer. Yeah, yeah, that's the best season in that show. Holy shit! And it's all because of him. Cause he's amazing. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he seems like a nice guy. Like that thing is that, like he's the only reason why you should watch Dexter, and you should only watch one season of Dexter, and it should be that one. Just because he's he's so fucking scary. Mm. Yeah, he's but in mad. this, he's so like helpless. Yeah, he's, he's demented. He has Alzheimer's. And that's like the whole motivation. We gotta we gotta give uh, you know the chimps. All this uh, this crazy brain drug. Nothing could go possibly wrong, you know. Mm. And then everything goes wrong. Yeah, shit hits the fan. <laughs> and then there's a whole p- pandemic aspect as well. It's pretty funny. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of had to mention that. With any pandemic film these days. Is Gary Oldman in the second one? Yeah, he is. And mm. uh, that Australian guy with the nose. Can't remember his name. But he's he's also in it. Yeah, Gary Oldman's really good in the second one. Second one's is oh yeah another guy you're talking about yeah, yeah. the main dude kind of yeah 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 second one's good better than the third one I think third one yeah. is all over the place yeah it kind of is yeah it's like fucking it's ape a- concentration camps <laughs> and stuff yeah. it's, like, it's like chill out like you know, <laughs> yeah, relax. Kid, yeah relax just just they should just cut straight to the point and get to the basically just remake the original you know mm. follow the spaceship as it lands into I think that was the, the planet plan. of the apes or that is the plan yeah but it got but they got bought up by Disney so. God knows what they'll do now. What else have you been have you been looking at? Um, I watched a bit of uh, Darjeeling. Dar- 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 Darjeeling Limited. Jesus Christ, Darjeeling! <laughs> I can't pronounce that. Darjeeling Limited. Darjeeling Limited. Darjeeling. Adrian Dar- Brody. Darjeeling Limited. Wes Anderson, two thousand and seven or eight or six. I can't really remember. Uh, it's good. It's very good. It's a very cozy, good, good vibes off it. I've um, never seen it. Never seen it myself. Yeah, because like with Wes Anderson, um, I think the only time I ever remember watching one of his movies was um, like Grand Budapest. I think that's the first time I was like, okay, I'm watching a Wes Anderson film. Like this is what Wes Anderson does. He does, you know, quirkiness, symmetrical, symmetrical weird angles, very straight angles, like tons of props and stuff, ensemble cast, whatever. Um, is this like that? It is like that, but like with um. With Isle of Dogs, like I fucking hate, like I don't I haven't seen it since I watched it originally, but I found that film like boring as fuck and to the extent where like I was like, do I even like Wes Anderson? And like retroactively made me not like his films. Mm. But then I watched the Fantastic Mr. Fox early uh, last year, and I joined that, and I watched this again, and it's like revitalized my. Uh, my love for like Wes Anderson films. Oh really? I still think All the Dogs is fucking awful, <laughs> but like this is really good, and like Owen Wilson's really good in it. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, who the entire time I thought it was Luke Wilson. Yeah, I th- they look so similar. Bright Luke Wilson is like the same height as a uh, as Owen Wilson, but Jason Schwartzman's like pretty short. Small, yeah. And uh, we were, I was talking about family, and we were like, how the fuck did they make Luke Wilson so short? Like, that special effects is amazing. <laughs> and it's only today, like, I watched this on Friday, it's only today that I realized, oh shit, it's not fucking Luke it's, Wilson, it's, it's Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> and Adrian Brody's in it. Um, and it's really weird, because, like, when we were watching it, we were like, 
Luke Wilson looks like he's more he's he's closer brothers with like Adrian Brody than he is with Owen Wilson. But it wasn't fucking Luke Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> but Jason Schwartzman looks like he's related to Adrian Brody in this movie. Like they look alike, but then Owen Wilson stands out. Yeah, they sort of look similar. Jason Schwartzman, Owen Wilson. They do. It's like they look like they're brothers. The nose, the nose it is, is the noses film, and yeah. the eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen. That. I remember when it came out. I remember they had a. The UCI used to have this big poster that was up way after the film had left cinemas. It sort of scared me back when it was it was it was, uh, it was out because I didn't know what it was about, you know. Yeah, it does a really good fake out at the start mm. where. Uh, wait, wait, what is it about? So it's about so <laughs> the opening scene is uh, we're following Bill Murray and Bill Murray is uh, late for his train and so so we follow him and he's chasing after the train. But then all of a sudden, Adrian Brody like overtakes him, and the camera just follows him, and then he hops into the train, and we never see Bill Murray again until the end of the film. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a really good opening, uh-huh. um, and then it is three brothers who haven't seen each other in like years, uh, decide to go to India to like find themselves and reconnect as brothers. Um, it's just about like them their journey through India. And it is like it's orientalist as fuck. Like, <laughs> like in it a is bad all. Way or like I think it's doing it on purpose. Yeah. It is like I think the I think the only problem is is that is that it's Wes Anderson. So Wes Anderson is like inherently quirky mm. to the extent where you could easily just see this as like oh this is just Wes Anderson showing what India is really like, like the orientalist the orientalism in it just kind of fades into being a quirky trope. Mm. To the extent where you could just think that it's, it is just, you know, that's just what India is like. Yeah. Well, like how, a, how does it betray India? As like this like place where you go, and, like it's, it, but it's taking the piss out of itself because it's like it's three, it's three white dudes going off to India to like find spirituality yeah. and stuff, and like there is the um, the exotic girl who's on the uh, on the train. She's like the Indian girl, or whatever, and uh, Jason Schwartzman fucks her. But, like, the nice. whole thing is that at the end, like, she was using him. He wasn't, like, conquering her as it would be in Orientalism. Uh-huh. Like, she was using him to, like, get over her boyfriend. And he says, like, oh, thank you for using me or whatever. And she's like, no problem. Because he's, okay, he's okay with it, basically. Oh, and he okay. doesn't want anything from her. But, um, so that's where the critique comes in. But, like, you could easily just see it. Because it's really quirky, like, very straightforward dialogue. You know, like, Wes Anderson-style dialogue. Mm. Like, it's like that. To the point where, like... The critique kind of doesn't isn't as obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's really good. I think it is very good. I think it's it can be a bit uh, muddled in its critique in some points, but I think it is very good. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty hard for because uh, he's so like non-serious. You know. I think a different director doing this story would have worked, but I think it, it is still good. Like it doesn't really take away from the film because mm. you're like, let's just. Wes Anderson taking the picture of Orientalism. Like, it, that is what it is. Yeah. But, um, it is good. And it's enjoyable. And it's Wes Anderson. And it's, like, kind of cozy. Doing his thing. Doing his thing. Doing his bit. You ever seen Rushmore? No, that's the only one I haven't seen. I've seen Life Aquatic, and I don't like Life Aquatic. I've never seen it. I watched like, Isle of Dogs, and then I watched Life Aquatic, and I didn't like either of them. That's why I was like, I don't like Wes Anderson. Yeah. Forgetting how much I really enjoy Grand Budapest, and especially how much I love uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm, like with yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox I think it's like a film where like every piece of it just like works together in a really really good way yeah yeah I'm, I still haven't seen most of his his big hits you know uh, Life Aquatic and uh, what you call it um, that thing 
Out of dogs, Rushmore. I haven't Rushmore. seen all the dogs. Either. I want to watch uh, Life of Aquatic. I want to watch Bush, uh, Rushmore though. Yeah, that's on a uh, star. Yeah, that star. That's the that, that star. I think is kind of a tease though, isn't it? Like you know, it's, it's got. It's pretty good, but it's not great. It literally has like, I remember when um when it first came out, like what last week or something. Yeah, I was on, I was on Twitter. It has like screenshots of uh it's like, oh, all these cool films on uh on Disney Plus, and I, was, I went into Disney Plus, and uh, yeah, they're all there, but like that's it. They have. It's yeah, just, nothing it's just, else. It's just the films that they advertise as being on there. Like, there's no back catalog or anything. Like, they own everything. Yeah, I Why know. Why don't they just have everything <laughs> like, on that? You know, they literally own fucking everything, and they have fuck all on their streaming yeah, site. It's ridiculous. Like, there is, there's enough to keep me satisfied, and I've been using Disney Plus way more now. But like, it's still not very good. Like, I'd use it. Like, if Disney were to actually like, like you know, flex, they yeah. could like, they could drop bombs. Like, they could they put could a fucking anything bombs. that they wanted to. Yeah, you could turn the rest of the streaming landscape into you know Sheffield and Threads. Yeah, it'd be over. Be it'd over. Be over. They could. They actually could easily do that if they wanted to. Yeah. Well, they probably get sued by like the U.S. government if they did that. Yeah, monopolizing. Yeah, yeah, but like at the same time, I'm amazed that they haven't already. Yeah, they should be anyway. But like at the same time, like there's no excuse for Disney f- for their streaming service to be so bad like there's yeah, no, no. there's the absolute minimum on there and at th- least and it looks nice and it's easy to navigate and stuff but like finding like the categories are fucking bullshit yeah, yeah the categories so are fucking it's awful it's so hard to find like I, I was on star but i was like am i on star i don't even know like how do i look for films on star it's like yeah. impossible to do it you have to it's like a fucking needle in a haystack you have to search it and hope it comes up yeah and that's it or you have to go through a i went through everything on a to z and it took fucking ages it was not worth it. Yeah. Fuck that. Like, that's the only problem is that they need to sort out their fucking categories. And just stick in a fucking horror category, right? I know it's for kids. Yeah, for fuck's sake, just come on. They have the pins now and all. It's like, just put in a horror category, you like know? Like, you have the omen there, and it's not underneath the horror. <laughs> yeah. All this, yeah, the fly and stuff. What, and the like, fly. Oh, my. I can't believe Disney Plus, Disney Plus has the fly. The fly. And they did the second Planet of the Apes. Put the rest of them on there, you know? Yeah. I don't want to watch Dawn on its own, you know? A lot of bollocks. It's so annoying. And I, I think, like, I hope that they don't, but I'm all right with them doing it as well, because, like, you would, like, kind of end things. But they're, I think they'd up the price again, though, if they were to do that. If they, uh, up the price. That's pretty cheap as it is, you know? At the same time, obviously, it would be terrible for, for everything else. Every other aspect of uh, of the industry. Oh, it'd suffer massively. Yeah. You know, that has to be, like, the reason. So it's literally like dropping a nuke. Yeah, yeah. Like, they'd have to, you know. I think it'd be, like, a mask-off kind of moment if they put everything everything on there. People would be like, is you, this... Yeah, uh, that'd be the moment where people are like, you own way too many properties. Yeah, people are like, this isn't right, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> imagine if Disney actually did, like, put up everything that they own. Mm. And you'd be like, wow. Like, everything I watch everything, is yeah. Disney. <laughs> yeah. You know? I don't they own Friends and like uh, Malcolm the Middle and stuff. No, they Pretty sure they do, yeah. Simpsons, all of Fox. Futurama's up there now, so Futurama. I'm gonna start watching that a bit. Yeah, Futurama's real good. I'm watching a lot of Shit's Creek though. Have you watched X Files? Not yet, no. I was getting on that man. I watched some today. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. How'd that go? It's Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> like it's exactly what I thought it was gonna be. Yeah, yeah. A two a T. Oh God, Patrick Dempsey. He's so dreamy. He's not even. <laughs> He's really square looking. Yeah, he lo- his head looks like a box. Yeah. Yeah. Too chiseled a chin. Yeah. I'm a, not a chin man. There's <laughs> such, yeah, there's such a thing as like too chiseled, you know? Yeah. It's a bit weird. 
too sculptured. <laughs> you're too hot. Yeah, you're actually too handsome. <laughs> he's like really handsome Squidward. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. like, it's like <laughs> kind of disgusting. It's briefly sort of off-putting, yeah. <laughs> That's just a good concept in like that episode as well. It's like, yeah. it's kind of hideous how good looking you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Spongebob is all that stuff. Is Spongebob Disney? Is Nickelodeon? I don't know. Who's Who owns Nickelodeon? I don't know. Viacom or something. News Corp or something, I don't know. Yeah, Murdoch. <laughs> Some fucking someone does. So I'm sure someone does. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Um what else have I been watching? I watched Ed Wood. The Johnny Depp. The Johnny Depp, Tim Burton. Ah. Tim Burton as well hit me recently. Re- remembering how much like I do like like Tim Burton's kind of shit but he's also he does some good stuff like I love his work in Bundle Love too. Yeah, Bundle Love too. That's where I like, kind of revile as like I started thinking about Tim Burton I was like Sweeney Todd I like that movie I was like pretty sure the Batman did have been pretty good as well mm. yeah I don't I don't remember and then I was thinking of Ed Wood so I watched Ed Wood and I was like that's a good movie I have had that movie on my list for a while it's like uh, it kind of reminds me of The Disaster Artist but is like very different because Ed Wood was a very it kind of fits the the characters of their their like terrible directors they kind of like set it up where like Ed Wood aspires to be the next Orson Welles to the point where he literally meets Orson Welles in the film and Orson Welles just like gives him the courage to go out there and make his Citizen Kane and his Citizen Kane is Plan 9 from Outer Space ah wait is this is this a real no I I doubt very much that that happens but like that's like the character that Ed Ed Wood was I'm gonna say Ed Gein Ed Wood (laughs) Um, did he actually direct that film yeah, he directed Plan Nine from Outer oh. Space. Like that's he's like, oh, it's, you know who know who Ed Wood was? I don't know who he uh, is. Ed Wood was like the Tommy Wiseau of his era. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right, but like you know the way that Tommy Wiseau, like in uh, the Disaster Artist, like it's a comedy. A yeah, lot of comedy yeah. comes off from like how weird uh, Tommy Wiseau is. In this one, like Ed Wood was best friends with um, Dracula, original Dracula. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. He's- He's best friends with Dracula. Yeah, no, the guy that played Dracula. Ah, yeah. Bella Lugosi. Yeah, Bella Lugosi. Ah, yeah. Bella Lugosi was best friends with Edward. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. With the actual Dracula. What a story. <laughs> what a life story. <laughs> yeah, he's friends with Bella Lugosi. Yeah. And like Bella Lugosi is kind of like the Tommy Wiseau character of this film. Alright. Where like Edward was Edward was a bit of a strange dude. Like he uh just like how he thought was a good movie and like his approach to filmmaking is bizarre mm. he's just like it's authentic it's real like it, and no one cares about like technicalities to the point where like his films are like unwatchable because of how like technically <laughs> confident they are yeah. plan nine is like i remember watching that way back when i think i watched it in ty or something and they have like boom mics coming in there at the frame and stuff <laughs> you know i would be, like people forget their lines it's just like it's just hilarious mm. But uh, yeah, I didn't know that was Edward was based. I I honestly didn't know what Edward was about at all. Oh, it's good. It's but, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, it's very good. <laughs> it's just like this weird. It's just kind of like the Tommy Wiseau of his era. Mm. Yeah. But it also has like a lot of heart and like it like doesn't take the piss out of him. Like you know the way that like um in the disaster artist and I kind of wonder if like this is where they got the idea from. Actually, they have actually very similar endings where uh. They both end up at the premiere of the films that are going to make them famous forever. Mm. Um, and they both kind of have the same 
kind of idea where it doesn't really matter that you made something shit. It's that like you enjoyed the process, if you know what I mean. Or it's yeah, like yeah. you know that kind of like idea of uh, where like Tommy Wiseau was like, oh yeah, I meant that to be awful, but he got his fame. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Ed Wood, he got to feel like a real director. Mm. Um, and like that's a very similar tie between the two, except for and Ed Wood, no one's like. He doesn't sound a big of a speech about how he meant the film to be terrible. Like, he goes off thinking that everyone thought his film's amazing. <laughs> and that's how the film ends. Oh, okay. And yeah. then it gives, like, title cards afterwards to explain what happened in their lives afterwards. Oh, all right. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's on, on Disney Plus, is it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Mm, let's give that to go. Because if they ended in real life, it would have ended with him uh, absolutely losing his mind, basically. Ah, oh, that's so sad. And uh, he died um, from... A heart attack or something. I can't remember what it was. Something bad, though. That doesn't sound No, great. it's very <laughs> bleak. It's really bleak. That's so sad. At least, like, Tommy Wiseau's doing okay. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's, he's alright, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, a heart, go insane and have a heart attack. That's not great. He seemed like a really cool dude from the film. Yeah. And he also was, like, in the film, he, like, scams a bunch of, like, uh, pastors or something. What are they? Um, Is this something like that? Pa- yeah, pastors. Yeah, pastors. Or a Baptist, I think they're... Oh, like the the movement? like Yeah, the movement. Oh. Like, sometimes, like, pastors or Baptists or something, but, like, scams them into, like, making, his, like, his film Plan 9 from aerospace, basically, <laughs> is how he does it. The Baptists. God bless and they're him. like, should your movie, like, they're like, if you start, like, the way that you shot that there, like, they, they come in uh, during daytime, and then the next cut, all of a sudden, it's night, and he's like, yeah, and they're like, should you not like fix the continuity that he's like no it doesn't matter no one's gonna notice that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's I suppose that's a cool way to you know think about it obviously a bit silly though what a fucking <laughs> idiot <laughs> and he's like god I hope everyone remembers me forever he's like don't worry they did <laughs> yeah yeah he is he is always remembered but yeah sounds like a sweet guy mm, definitely god bless him god bless him that'd be me do you watch anything else this week no not really no not really no um. Oh God, I guess I'll talk about Comet. Uh oh. Wait, give me a second. So Comet. Uh, Justin Long. Uh, Emmy Emmy Rossum. Emmy Rossum. Thank you. Uh, directed by the guy and written by the guy that made uh, Mr. Robot. Um, not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> not a good movie. What's it about? It's about. It's about this guy, and he's trying to win over a girl, basically, and it like kind of goes through the relationship. Um, but it sets itself up as like this title or the start of the film is like the following events take place, uh, like um, in a six-year time span across uh multiple parallel universe or dimensions or whatever. And like, I had this like, we type of this film in film club and. Uh, when the fellas Balfe kind of explained the uh, the parallel universe, like, things that are going on, where he's jumping across to different universes trying to chase this girl and trying to end up in the universe where they end up together because that's how much he loves her. Um, but when I was watching it, that was not obvious at all to the point where it just felt thought, like, it's one timeline and we're just seeing, like, the relationship amongst this timeline but it's chopped up in a way where like you're seeing at the start and all of a sudden you're seeing the end of the the relationship and then you're seeing the middle bit and then back to the start end middle start for a while end then switching about you know what I mean (laughs) but like they're all all completely different timelines is it 
they're all different um, parallel universes. Yeah, yeah. So none of them are in the same the none continuity. Of them are like the like he'll be in one situation and then it doesn't work out, so he switches over to another one. But the events of the previous one has happened to the point where it's just like one timeline, basically. Yeah, is that not? Is that not it, no? No, I don't know. I don't understand what it is. But that's not th- that doesn't really matter because this film is fucking dog shit. Like, you have to sit with this character, right? The most obnoxious fucking person in the world. He is... Oh, like... And it's, uh, like, to the point where I was like... I thought it was done on purpose. But, like, the moment of clarity where this is done on purpose never arrives. To the point where... I thought that this film was just like thinking that this was cool and that this is what an intelligent man sounds like. Because like he'll be talking to someone, right? And he'll like be like, "Oh, you're." He like turns into Sherlock and <laughs> analyzes them. If you don't, you know what I mean. You know that type of dude. <laughs> Imagine and, someone actually did that in real life, like. Like no human being talks like that. And then he's talking about like death. He's like, "Yeah, man, I don't really believe in death." And he's just like talking about like how like he's talking about like um. Oh, well, you see the way you're thinking about right what you're doing right now. Well, I'm five minutes in the future. I'm always wondering what's gonna happen next. And, like, that's serious. That's serious. That's sad. Like, that's who the character is. And the girl character is only, like, slightly better. Like, it is obnoxious. And the way that it is shot. Right? Mm. So, imagine, like... This is going to be hard to describe. Right, imagine, like, a fucking, like... Your TV, right? And it's on. And you're watching a movie or whatever, right? And then, all of a sudden, like, it won't... There will be a cut. And the actor's head is in the bottom left-hand corner, mm. and that's and there's all this empty space. And then the next quote comes on, and the other actor is on the right-hand screen on the bottom corner, but it's like two different shots. Mm. Like everything is like super extreme, like that, and like really focus up on like their hands and their mouths and stuff, and it's really like obnoxiously shot. Ugh. It's really annoying to watch. That sounds. That doesn't sound good. <clears throat> I have to um. Say. And, like, you're stuck, like, this is, like, kind of, like, a before midnight or after something. You know those films? Like, yeah. before, like, all those, the before trilogy. Um, and, like, the way that in, the, in those films, you just follow two characters talking. Like, this film has, like, versions of that where, like, you don't really see other characters. It's just these two. Mm. Um, but you're with the worst human beings that have ever existed. <laughs> There's a point in this film, right? And the whiplash that I got from this fucking tone shift. But, like, they're all of a sudden, like, they're walking down, and, like, it's when they're younger, like, mm. when they first met. And they're walking down, and uh, she turns around to him, and she goes, you know, I was raped by the quarterback in high school. And, uh, oh. and like, you're just like, whoa, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden, he starts laughing, and he's like, oh, that's such bullshit. And she's like, oh, how'd you know? Like, he immediately laughs at someone admitting to him, or saying to him, that, they were raped and he laughs only for it to then be realized that he was right and they were actually lying. So it's just like a bad situation gets worse and worse. It sounds like they were made for each other. Like, that's the thing where I'm like, is this intentional? But the moment of clarity never, ever arrives. And like, at the end of this film, fucking Coke holds it, right? Because I was waiting for, <laughs> I was waiting for like... Coked by the comma. Like, at least... <laughs> there's, a, there's a moment in the film where... He's like treats her like fucking shit. Like every time that their relationship deteriorates, it's mostly because he like freaks out or like it's just like he's such a fucking asshole that you just don't want him to be with her, and you don't want you you just want him to shut up. Like he's just Mark. Like I can't describe to you how bad the dialogue is in this film. I'm gonna yeah. have to show you this afterwards. This would make your fucking skin crawl, right? <laughs> so it's at the end of the film, 
and it's like fuck off like just fuck off man I don't want to see the I just I want this film to end so she turns to him and this is like the final timeline or whatever and she's saying she's pregnant and uh his whole like reason for like analyzing her was completely off and she has like valid reasons for it's because she's pregnant and she's with someone and she loves them and she's gonna marry them so you're like this is it this is to prove that like treat like acting like this dickhead never works and then he just like walks away and he goes oh, give me give me a minute and it waits for like a minute a and full then minute a full minute passes and he goes over and he kisses her and that's the end of the film that's it but the idea is that that's the moment where like he's moving on to the, to another parallel universe but the parallel universe is like crashing in on him he's gonna he, like, he's about to die basically like that's the idea that's going behind going uh. behind it but that's not obvious in the film so it was just it was just this dude that like wouldn't leave this fucking girl alone <laughs> and he's just like and to the point where like it was like he gets what he wants like I, yeah. I thought that's how the film ended apparently not but it's not very clear Wait, what's yeah? What is the ending? The ending is that so he he, he dies. He, he he's dead. Yeah, like yeah. he's like zapped out of this fucking dimension. He's <laughs> he's gone. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't understand. <laughs> like, it. I, I'm not explaining it well, but like that's, but it's also not very clear in the film. Yeah. And he's just the fucking worst. Like this film is, and I like <laughs> I was 20 minutes into this film and I was thinking about just turning it off. <laughs> 20 minutes in. I finished it. It took me three hours to watch this hour and a half long film. That's not good. That's, no. That's never good. Where'd you watch it? Uh, it's on Prime. I just said, because I, I read, I read up, like, I re- read the Wikipedia before, before this. I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand what the uh, point was, but. Yeah. It's like a critique of, like, films like Eternal Sunshine and 500 Days of Summer. Like, but these, they're critiques. Or, like, of, like, before sunset or whatever yeah, but again yeah. like they're kind of they are kind of critiques of those of those of that genre but because of that they kind of became a genre in in and of themselves yeah. it's like kind of like smart yeah marks, like rom-coms or smart romantic rom-coms, films yeah. um but this is just obnoxious and it's just annoying like yeah. you ever been in workman's and you sit beside someone and you just want to get away from the conversation yeah that's an hour and a half of that like that's what you're an stuck hour with and a half. You can't even drink. No, you can't even drink. <laughs> like, you can't do anything. Can't get a red room. Yeah, that's sad. It's bleak. That is bleak. That doesn't sound like a, uh, a good time. No, me. it wasn't. It was fucking awful. It was fucking awful. Fucking I'm so sorry, Liam. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that Jesus. I didn't even heard of this. No. Um. Yeah, Justin Long. He's just... He just says... Uh, he's just an incel. <laughs> he is. He's always an incel, then, like every film, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's just his character. He hasn't been anything in so long, though. Not since, not since Dodgeball. Yeah, he was in that film Walrus. Remember that? Yeah, that was Where fucking awful as Walrus. well, wasn't it? I don't know. I, I I've never it. heard of one good thing about that film. Yeah, it doesn't look good. I've Kevin heard it's Smith, just like man. universally shit. Yeah. What a shame. What a shame. Because Kevin Smith's pretty cool, I'm pretty sure. Is like, it? I've heard like stories of him on podcasts, and he just seems like a cool dude. He seems like a cool guy. But in terms of like, filmmaking, you know, he's... He's kind of whatever. Yeah, yeah. I've never even seen... Um, I've never seen one of his films. Yeah, was it Mallrats and... Uh, Clerks. Clerks, yeah. And so, Bob, Jay and Silent Bob. I think he's another one. Yeah, he's a few. He's a... What was it? Uh, was it? It's not, it's not Let's Be Cops. It's one of those cops films with Ice Cube in it. I think it is called Let's Be Cops. Is it? I think yeah. so. Or Red State. Garden State. One of them. Oh, Red State, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I haven't seen any of his I've films. I've never seen any of them, yeah. 
I just because I don't think they're very good. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard someone. I think it's an American thing. I've never heard an Irish person or like anyone really uh, recommend it to me. Because I feel like I've heard about like mall rats. I remember H Bomber guy talked about how that's such a film to just like have in the background mm. and be talking over it, and that's yeah. kind of what it's perfect for, and that's why it became like a big hit when like it was on video. Because no one was going to go see this in fucking cinemas. Like, this is not a cinema film, yeah. but it's a film to have on the background at home yeah. and just kind of, like, listen to it. Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't sound very good, though. Yeah, it's a film to have on at a party, apparently. That's what I've heard. At a party? Yeah. Yeah. Never been at a party like that. No. It's only ever been porn. <laughs> <laughs> and all of us sitting around watching. It's only ever murders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fuck that. Can't yeah, fuck me. that. Father, when you heard the call of God, was it a real voice? Any voice you hear is real. But outside your head, was God's voice to you outside your head? No burning bush, if that's what you mean. Joan of Arc heard voices. Joan was a witch. The English only burnt her for one because she was a patriot of France. An official patriot and French saint now. What was she? There is some evidence that she might even have not been Christian, but that she practiced the, what is called, the old religion, the primitive religion of the villages and fields. She worshipped the devil. Stephen, when a church, any church, goes to war against an older god, it has to call that older god the devil. We're going straight into it. We're going straight into our recommended film of the week. Panda's Fan. 1974. BBC. Play for it today. Written by the playwright and classicist David Rudkin. The film follows Stephen, an 18-year-old boy whose identity, sexuality, and suffocating nationalism unravels through a series of strange visions. After its original broadcast, Panda's Fan vanished into unseen mythic status. With only a single rebroadcast, rebroadcast in 1990 you got this, you got on this. Channel 4, <laughs> uh, sustaining its cult following. With a DVD released by the BFI in 2016, Pendus Fan has now become a totemic uh, object for those interested in Britain's deep history, folklore, and all that fun stuff. So yeah, I hope you watched it. This, this, is, this is one of my favorite films ever made. It's like, it's just, it has everything in it. It has everything. Like, it's just, like, that's... Like has everything we like in the film. Yeah, everything. Um, I saw a really great comparison, or I heard a really great comparison, on a, a podcast uh, like last week. I think it's called Cosmic Shambles. They had mm-hmm. a, an episode on Pendus Fan, and uh, they talked about it in terms of an orchestra. And music is a big thing in the film. It has like sort of five or six main themes. It's like music, mm-hmm. politics, religion, uh, spirituality, yeah, um, uh, the landscape. And something else. Sexuality. Yeah. But basically, it's like, they're all like different instruments playing the same sort of song. And the song is Stephen's sort of, Stephen's coming of age, his his story, like how he sort of finds himself. But he's not just finding himself, he's finding England, he's finding true England and uh, a deeper truth within himself and all of us. Mm -hmm. So, it's really good. What what did you think of this film? This is like, same as uh, your last time where you recommended uh, Peeping Tom, one of the best films I've ever seen. Like, honestly... I agree with everything that you've said. Uh, this film is amazing. And it's a, like, 
because it's it's a short film, but it it feels kind of long in a certain way, but mm. like in a in a good way, um, in a way that like you feel like you spend time with Stephen and you know who Stephen is, and you know what he stands for, and then you see the development and how that changes, and it's really amazing and how that ties to England's past, and also in a way like what England could be in the future, and that yeah. kind of and that replicating itself across like all countries all modern day countries that like, you could be something different you could have more freedom um you could be who you are yeah that yeah. like a lot of people can't be um especially steven because steven's obviously dealing with a lot of uh, you know nationalism and that being tied to you know what kind of like what is a true man and you know that being you know maybe maybe uh being homosexual doesn't tie with what he thinks a man should be or even his religion would frown, frown upon that even further and how that ties to, you know, everything else in a really amazing way. It's f- oh man, this is f- there's so much to talk about this yeah. in this film. It's almost a problem because I don't know where to like. Yeah, I don't know where, where to start. Where, where do you start with something like that? Because it's like every every line and every theme, everything it's trying to say is like so fully realized and uh, so expansive, and you can just sort of go on any direction really. Yeah, and it'll just go on forever. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I think it's definitely about modernity, you know, yeah. and the uh, sort of tension between what we conceive of as a like as ourselves right now, and the fact that you know we weren't this before, and the fact that like you know the obvious conclusion of that, the obvious obvious maxim, is that we're going to be something else entirely in the future, always becoming something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Panda, like it's from the from the title, of the uh, the ancient pagan king, the last pagan ruler in England. Who uh, fell in I think sixteen or six fifty five, so quite a long time ago, mm. and uh, he's sort of symbolic in the film because he represents the contradiction of nationalism and Englishness, yeah, and the fact that this guy who's like so, like authentically English and like connected to the land, like as much as anyone is today or ever has been really, but we don't know anything about him. He didn't speak English, he didn't, he wasn't a Christian. Uh, we don't even know how he died, why he died, what he believed in. Or like who his followers were and stuff like that. It just sort of demonstrates through Stephen like how these how you sort of have to come to terms with this sort of alien within yourself, yeah, which is uh, inherent to uh, everything that we've come to see ourselves as today. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot in it, you know. I think music is a huge thing as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. Music is actually pretty big. That which, scene is so intense. Which one? When he's playing the music in the in the in the church. Oh yeah, yeah. On the organ. That film is so intense and like builds up in this really amazing way, um, and yeah, yeah. especially with like how it ties to the stuff at the start, where he's imagining the music and he's like, imagine hearing the sound of God, and then he plays that music, and God, yeah, yeah. or you know whatever it is, whatever God may represent at that moment for you, because like I think, like that could be multiple different things depending on your reading of the film, and yeah. what that represents. Yeah, music is something that I, I never sort of. I didn't catch on to it until I watched it there like a few days ago. Uh, in terms of like how important it is and how it's sort of central, uh, I suppose like how it relates to everything else that the film's trying to say. Because it's like folk tales and stories and yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what like that. yeah, that's what music sort of is. And so like sort of culture, so uh, like foundational in terms of nationalism. Yeah, it's specific per culture and per yeah, hundred yeah, like, percent. Like Stephen is like a fucking loser. He's a nerd. He's like completely. He's a fucking intel. Yeah, he's so unlikable. He's a horrible person, and he's like this really like, like he's like a little, he's like a little Tory. fucking 
Ben Shapiro loving Tory. Yeah, yeah, in the seventies. So like he's all about, uh, you know, proper sort of Englishness and uh, you know don't uh, don't step out of line stuff like that. Like he's against the strikers. Like this this was released in the context of uh, the seventies. Of yeah, seventy four, but specifically after the three day week, which was a. Uh, which is when the strikers and the government came to came to like loggerheads, and uh, the government sort of struck out against the strikers, and decided that uh, like homes in Britain would only be allowed electricity for three days a week for all through uh, Christmas. So people had no like heating electricity uh, Jesus. for half the week, uh, all through Christmas. This came out I think two weeks just after the uh, they lifted that ban. But uh, there's a, a general election in the February, and. It was the Tories that had sort of uh, provoked this confrontation between between Labour and the state, and uh, they sort they basically lost this confrontation because mm. even though they cut off electricity to half the country for half the week, uh, people still voted the Tories out that uh, like that election. Yeah. Even though like it was supposed to be the, the strikers' fault that there was no electricity, so it's sort of this this weird moment in time where it's like things could have really like literally could have gone either way. Yeah. Like. Uh, the strikers had just defeated the government, basically, and the people were on their side. And you're thinking, like, which way is this going to go? Yeah. And, like, that's the context of Pendus Fan, I think. Yeah, it opens with him, like, looking out on the hills of England, and he's listening to Dream of Garantis by Edward Elgar, who was, like, the... He's, like, the sort of uh, composer. The like Beethoven the, of England? Yeah, he's, like, the national composer of England. And uh, Dream of Garantis is, like, a really personal kind of... Uh, kind of piece about a man who dies and he meets god and it's a very mm. it's a very personal thing like it's all about the personal ecstasy of him like the moment when he he uh like, here's the voice of yeah, god the moment of that meeting and it's supposed to be it's emblemized in the music but like he's he's like one of those uh cultural battlegrounds in england like even recently uh the bbc proms where they have like uh i don't know like a showcase of classical music that they do every year mm-hmm and traditionally, they play Land of Hope and Glory and uh, Jerusalem, or Rule Britannia as well, at the end of it. But this year, they didn't. Uh, people got all up in arms. They're like, oh, this is like PC gone mad, you know, BLM have like ruined ruined England and stuff. Uh, like, uh, like Elgar, like, uh, he wrote these. He like mm-hmm. he did the music for uh, Land of Hope and Glory and he uh, did the orchestration for Jerusalem. But like, the Tories stepped in and like there's a big team with Nigel Farage and uh, Boris Johnson being like oh they're the BBC are ashamed of our history and like this is this isn't this isn't right but th- at the same time uh, Elgar like wasn't he wasn't comfortable with any of those things and he didn't he didn't write the lyrics to Land of Hope and Glory which yeah. is all about expanding the empire and like sort of subjugating uh, people yeah the lessers <laughs> like the imperial like uh, savages uh, so he wasn't interested in that kind of thing it was all about the music for him and Jerusalem itself is like sort of a, it's like an unofficial English national anthem, mm-hmm. like aside from God Save the Queen. But it was written by uh, William Blake. It's a poem by William Blake, who's like a romantic poet. From uh, It was written in 1808. And uh, Blake was, like he wrote uh, Jerusalem in the context of the Napoleonic Wars. But he he supported Napoleon, he supported the French Revolution. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. hated like the British empire system. Yeah. yeah, he hated the empire and all that stuff. And so like... The lyrics are all about, you know... Build- Contradicting the empire. Yeah, they're about building an England within England and uh, bringing Jerusalem, uh, you know... Home. <laughs> bringing it home, basically. Yeah. Basically, like... It's uh, coming home. <laughs> yeah, pa- painting, uh, 
painting a contradiction between uh, the kingdom of God and the empire. Yeah. And Elgar did the music for that. But like it's today, like I think they do it in rugby matches and stuff. They sing it there. But like today, it's like a patriotic anthem, even though the lyrics are the complete opposite. Yeah, that. they don't they don't say that at all. And uh, Jerusalem is also in the film. They sing it at the uh, I think it's the first scene uh, in the school where they're all together and they, all the schoolboys sing yeah, uh, yeah. sing Jerusalem. And then it's recited at the end as well, where the the headmaster uh, recites it uh, as at the graduation ceremony. So music is a is a really big thing in it, and uh, the cultural battlegrounds as opposed to, like, material kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also has, like, the whole, you know, strikers and the government and the state. And, uh, yeah, so it, everything expands into one another, you know. Every every theme is just, uh, like, completely essential to the work, you know. Yeah. Every scene, every Everything line is, key. is Yeah, yeah. And who the people are, like, yeah. is insane and how important it is. Because, like, every, literally every conversation reveals something about, like, either what this film is telling you and and or and or also who steven is as a person because like there's loads of moments where like he'll be talking to someone and like you just understand like the like nationalism in him but he's confronted with these ideas that are <clears throat> beyond that and beyond like what his idea of england is and you can just see like creeping up on him and like slowly overtaking him because of the realization that like he is gay like he isn't what England wants in his eyes that he envisions doesn't want him and he's an outsider of because of that and even further he's born of immigrants like he is not English he's not of English blood so therefore where does he belong in this England that he's created in his head and then the realization that like well this wasn't always England and that really what England is now is foreign to what England was beforehand Mm -hmm. yeah it's really like really leans on the contingent nature of like of everything that exists right now like mm-hmm. the england that steven has in his head is complete figment of uh just sort of the processes of industry uh, the kind of thing that uh like within jerusalem itself uh blake talks about uh he sort of rails against british industry and british british society and uh refers to uh like the mills that were down the street from his house he calls them satanic and stuff like that it's all about institutions and like, it comes back to that a lot in the film like the reverend talks about institutions and how uh calls back to the like the, the english tradition of uh uh protestant radicalism like the yeah. way like back to the civil war you're thinking like the levelers and the diggers and the ranters and stuff like that like people who uh like in the midst of all this chaos of the war uh they like sort of took it upon themselves to interpret you know the bible and spirituality and the land around them in like a really personal way and yeah so land was, is key yeah yeah they're like the land is for us the land immediately here it's not about it's not about you know going off on like foreign adventures and finding people and taking their shit it's about like you know what can we get from this land yeah what can we do for ourselves the land provides for us yeah make you know put put uh, the kingdom of god on earth stuff like that there's a lot about that in there and his dad as well like his dad is supposed to be in like a really conventional play you'd imagine his dad is like this this sort of like the the father figure like a stern sort of uh steven's oppressor yeah who like sort of keeps him into this but he liberates him in a yeah lot he's, of ways. he's the exact opposite he's like he, he, he should be like this pious kind of pastor character but instead he's like this weird like avant-garde like uh progressive heretic you know and like, he understands more so than what the bible has taught him yeah he doesn't even really believe in god yeah you know it's like it's really cool the way he does it like nothing in steven's mind like none of the archetypes around him are fixed like, his dad is supposed to be this pious character. 
he turns out to be a heretic and then you have like Arn, like the playwright yeah and he's supposed to be this crazy kind of like leftist loon but it turns out he's this really sensible kind of like uh, sympathetic character who yeah. like, has his own struggles and he has like a little farm and stuff and he like, lives off the land like yeah, again lives off the land. like he's he's in tap he's in tap he's in touch with what nature is and what the land can provide for you yeah um and i think that's that's really key to the film in a lot of ways i remember like at some point in the film his dad goes off to give the last rites to someone and uh when he's walking out he like looks at the flowers and he notices that they're growing um like turnips or potatoes or like some form of food and then it cuts back to him just like looking at it obviously emphasizing emphasis on the fact that these people lived off the land and they were in touch with what nature is and mm, what it can do for you exactly, and what it can yeah. free you from yeah yeah and that's the whole thing you know it's like you know we're we're all just extensions of nature like yeah the nature you know you are the flower the flower is you and stuff like that like Aaron, the character the playwright he's always pictured with flowers and stuff like around shrubbery um you know, and he's like natural solutions to probably like his cat is like fucked up, and they're like, "Oh, why don't you get a poultice for it? or like a one of those?" Let's do herbal stuff. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh no, uh, he wouldn't like a foreign object, but you stick it, put a leaf on it, and the cat will be grand." You know. Yeah. It's all about natural solutions to immediate problems. It's not about you know overthinking it or like institutionalizing things or calcifying uh, social relations. It's all about you know sort of basically about vibes really yeah just vibe you know? off it <laughs> just vibe off it. that's basically it because steven that's basically what steven learns to do learns to sort of vibe like becomes in touch with his inner self yeah and his inner i don't know desires his beliefs that maybe he wasn't uh equipped to uh confront beforehand because he's sort of boxed into this uh this character this like character more like of a uh, of the english national which is complete fiction but or basically a complete figment of uh, of like modern nation yeah. nation building, you know, it's a social construct. Yeah, Englishness didn't happen, but didn't like exist. that is like it's a really powerful moment as well, where like he's talking to Pendus, to Penda, mm. and you're just like, is even even the fact that it's really emphasizing the fact that like his idea of like the mother and father of England are two extremely conservative people that like done something over for blasphemy like that's who he he literally says they are the mother and father of england mm. and they come to him and they want to change him and he's like no i'm not going to do that and then penda shows up and penda's like you are who you are take control of england this is your land do do what do with it what you will and i think as well it really emphasizes uh the fact that like the government aren't something to be trusted and the government are doing something to the land they're testing uh, nuclear devices or something is what yeah, they believe to be underneath the fan yeah, underneath yeah. the fan underneath the land there's something corrupt within the land and it's caused by the government and it's hurting people and it's causing harm and it's it is literally corrupting the landscape like it is evil and it needs to be uh, expelled they make the comparison with the Los Alamos as well yeah like all these sort of like nuclear bombs or uh, sort of secret, like, black ops kind of things that the government does. Basically magic, but for the people at the top. And uh, the, I think the Reverend, or it's, or it's the playwright, make the, makes the observation that all these things always sort of uh, sort of happen, or, like, they're placed in sites that are of, like, of sacred importance. Like, Los Alamos used to be, like, a, a native uh, burial ground or something, or, like, a, mm. a sacred site or whatever. And he talks about how... Uh, it's almost as if like the state is using the uh, the magic within the land is to like summon a demon from the earth, you know, to like uh, I don't know, it's like a, like an alchemy kind of thing. But I think it's it's really cool. Uh, 
like the synthesis of uh, of David Rudkin and Alan Clark. Yeah. Like Rudkin is like this crazy kind of fucking. Uh, he's mad out there, basically. He's really like er- everyone in this in this uh, in the play talks like David Rudkin. I imagine sp- speaks yeah. like really verbose, like needlessly like pretentious and stuff. But it, <laughs> yeah. but it really works because Alan Clark is the director. Yeah, and Alan Clark is like the exact opposite. He's just like a like he did Elephant, which is the most understated thing ever made. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's wordless, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. There's no words. Yeah, and Alan Clark is like a complete social realist, like just sort of hardy, straight to the point just sort of shows things as they are. Yeah. Whereas David Rookin's like, you know, trying to flower it up, trying to like, trying to idealize things. Um, and there's loads of visions that uh, Stephen has. That first one fucked me up, man. With the, uh, the, the de- demon. The demon on yeah, his chest. Because yeah, yeah. so when cool. that cuts it, I was like, oh, what the fuck? I, like, yeah. I proper sat up. I was like, what the fuck? Because it's after, I'm pretty sure that's after the dream. After the dream with the with Joel, the kid he fancies and yeah, and the yeah. fire on his dick and all burning him, <laughs> like that was because like that's just after that. It's like that it's immediately clear what that represents. Mm, like yeah. all the visuals are pretty fucking easy to read. Like this isn't a very pretentious film in a lot of ways. I don't think yeah. because it is very obvious what each thing stands for. Like you have like a, a boy with his like not wearing a shirt. And then it cuts to Stephen's face and it cuts back to that. And then a hand stroking down. It cuts to Stephen and it cuts back to that. Mm. And then it gets down to the bottom. And then there's a fire. It's like very obvious what that stands for. Yeah. It's very clear. And then a demon shows up on his chest. <laughs> like it's very fucking obvious yeah. what it's telling you. Um, and I don't think it's pretentious in any sort of way. It's very, it's almost understated in how it does it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, like you know the way when the, the demon's on his chest... And he's like, he wakes up from the nightmare. He's like, yeah. what the fuck is that? And what he, the fuck? You can see it in the darkness. Yeah. And like, it's like the, you just see the eyes peering down at him. Yeah, I think that's the most, like, the the only thing that really makes it horror. Like, because that... It's a horrifying moment. Yeah, that's a, that's like a jump scare, you know? That's really good. It's really, uh, really, really creepy. effective as yeah. well. But Stephen goes and he turns on the light. And the demon's still there. Yeah. Which is, uh, I think it's pretty important. Like, which, all like, these things happen. It, they're all shot as if they actually did happen. You know? Because, like, There's in no, normal... In a normal film, you'd expect him to turn off the light and then cut back and he's not there. Yeah, but he's yeah. still there. Yeah, yeah. Which it makes it creepier in the sense that, like, like this isn't something that's going away. Like, this, the demon is Stephen. Yeah. Like, Stephen is the demon. Like, this isn't something that you can just turn on the lights and it's going to go away. Like, in a different director, or maybe, like, a more fantastical director would have shot it, like, like a vision as in, like, like psychedelic kind of, like... Yeah. Uh, it'd be really obvious that that it, this isn't real. But the, the demon, and then there's an angel at the lake... And uh, then and King- that has a reflection and everything like yeah yeah and then King Pende, like all this is shot as if shot the same way as if Stephen was talking to his dad or like mm-hmm. or the playwright or whatever. I think it's it's a it's a really really cool synthesis of of like social realism and this bizarre sort of mystic uh, sort of theoretical kind of thing. You know? Yeah, I've never had a film like make me feel the way that this film has. This like I don't even know how to describe it. It's like it's like the feeling of like walking through a field yeah, and yeah. thinking about something like this where like everything is is real or like shot as if it is real and you're meant to take everything as seriously as everything else and it works in a way where everything does like there's no fat in this film and like the most this is the leanest movie I've ever fucking seen <laughs> this thing is a chimp right <laughs> like 0% fat on there this there you go animals you know nature and stuff and like every you're meant to take everything as seriously every line as seriously as serious with the last 
and it is reflected in how it's shot. Like there's nothing like too avant garde in how it's shot. It's very social realism. It's very uh very simple in a lot of ways. And it's effective in that way as well. Like that fucking scene where like he's playing the music and the ground starts to crack, that still holds up. Like that doesn't look cheap either. It doesn't look weird. Mm. It feels out of this world. Even uh, even the demon. The demon's clearly just like a small person in a suit. Mm. But like I think that's the that's the point. Because mm. he could have easily just had it the way we're talking about, like he turns on the light and the demon's not there. And the the shot of the demon in the dark like holds up that holds up today. Like that doesn't look like a guy in a suit. That just looks like a terrifying looks demon. Like a gargoyle. In the, yeah, it looks like a gargoyle in the dark. But like they they allow the demon to be seen in the light because it's part of like the aesthetic. It's part of like the point of the film. You know, it's not it's not it's not trying to be completely kind of. Uh, it's like it's trying to be like mystical, kind of fantastic. Yeah, you know? it's trying to emulate that uh, sort of internal experience that Stephen's having. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about looking exactly correct. You know. Uh, yeah, like I love how uh, there's bird song and there's like sounds of nature in pretty much every single scene. Yeah, it is. It's 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 like walking across a field. It's like it's a very visceral experience. The entire thing, mm-hmm. even though a lot of it's talking, which is a bit bit bizarre, a bit strange. In a lot of ways, it feels like someone telling you a story as well, or at least mm. the, the at the very least the vibe of that. Like sitting by like like walking through a field, you feel like fucking Stephen walking with his dad down the field, and someone's telling you this story. Is almost the vibe that this gives off. That's one of the best scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, it is. Like, that it's is amazing. literally one of the one of the be- most well written scene in any film I've ever watched. Like, yeah, it's that's just because like it's a, such a huge development of the two characters as a whole. Because mm. like your idea, Stephen has like this is like the the moment for Stephen. Like he is standing, he's like talking to the father figure, the male figure in his life about who he is, and his dad's super religious, and his dad isn't what he thinks he is to the point where it's like. Stephen can be more than what he thinks he can be. Mm. And it's a realization for both of them, but it also means a lot more. Yeah. In yeah. terms of the context of like like what they signify and what they represent. Yeah. You know it's a good scene if like if you take your your uh, your impressions of the character at the start and then look at look at how you perceive them at the end and it's completely different things. Two completely, completely different things. It's it's per- like the scene is perfect. It's so well shot as well. It's like the sunset yeah. over uh, over the Pendus Fen, uh, which is actually a real place in in England called Pinvin, which is sort of like a big thing in the film. But um, yeah, the anglicization of the names. Yeah, yeah, because that, that apparently that's how Rudkin came up with the idea for the film. He was on like a like a staycation, I suppose, with his wife in uh, in like around the Malvern Hills, like where it's shot, and uh, they saw a signpost for for a town. And he noticed that it was spelled wrong, but it was spelled wrong in a way that like looked deliberate. Mm-hmm. And he looked it up just like Stephen looks it up in the film, and f- found that that was actually the old way of spelling it, which itself was also a corruption of the Anglo-Saxon way of spelling it, which mm-hmm. was also they assume like a a descendant of like a completely unknown language or like a completely unknown culture that used to live in that same place. So it sort of it set off like a, a spark of ideas in his head, and that's how he, he started writing the film. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's kind of like Brian Friel's translations in that way. I did when you but when you name the landscape, you change what it is. Mm, yeah, yeah. And because that's a major thing in translation, uh, with like the Irish landscape and how is it got, how it got anglicized and all that. But mm. like that's the same thing that's going on in this film as well. Yeah, yeah. Because Panda is basically like, especially within the logic of the film, Panda is no more English than like I suppose we are. 
but at the same time he's more English than anyone, you know? Yeah. Like that's the that's the contradiction there. Like it sort of it sort of pulls back the curtain on all these uh preconceptions and the, this uh this sort of uh I don't know bullshit. Yeah, artificial ignorance that is a uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah. But yeah, that, that last scene, like Amazing. That, that really like stuck with me because I, I went into it just imagining when I first watched it, just imagining like a folk car, like something like the Wicker Man, and uh, you get that at about halfway in, and you expect it to escalate, but it goes in like these completely different direction to what you'd like mm. to what you'd expect. It's n- it's not like any other film I've ever seen. No, it's completely different. Completely different. Very very different film. Because it is like that's a really like liberating moment in a film, and you you feel it like you feel like. I think it's uh, this is why I think it's so effective because I think you feel like Stephen does. Like Panda isn't talking to Stephen; he's talking to you, and he's talking about what the changes that you can make mm. to your country and to the world around you. That you're not just like some clone of like an idea of what like the English person should be, or what the Irish person should be, or what the French should be. Like, you are your own individual person, and your country is artificial, and it came from something else. Which is cool, because you get that same liberating feeling that Stephen does. Yeah, it's actually so uplifting, the ending, because he's like... It's hopeful. Yeah, it's almost more... uh, I suppose you you couldn't really... It'd be hard to sort of contextualize the film, because it was literally only broadcast once, and it was was shown again uh, 16 years later. And then you couldn't really find anywhere until 2016, but like it's almost more relevant now than it was when it when it first came out because yeah. obviously it was it was released. Well, now is a very unprecedented times, and now yeah, things exactly. are changing. So maybe you know what what could happen. Yeah, exactly. and that's what this film taps into. Yeah, our dawn will come. You know, he says that, but like obviously it was released in, in this sort of like this sort of crossroads moment where Labour just come back to power after defeating the Tories. The the, the strikers seem to have won. But at the same time, Panda, like it's almost like a prophecy he gives at the end. He's like, "Our our land is going down into a darkness now," and he's like, he basically says to Stephen, "You're going to have to basically uh, wage war, like an insurgency against, uh, you know, the, the institutions." You need are, to do something. Yeah, you need to do something. But basically, we've uh, we're on the run. We're like we're, we've lost, but our day, our dawn will come, and like things will things will get better eventually. Mm. But it won't be now. And you're going to have to work for it, and you're going to have to keep in touch with like. With the flame and the fan, and uh, you know your inner self and uh, stuff like that. It's yeah. like it's it's a it's amazing speech. It's for, powerful. Yeah, for a wizard who just pops up at the top of a hill at, yeah. the, at the end of like a coming. It feels of like story. a Jodorowsky ending. Yeah, actually, yeah, it, does. it feels very surreal in a lot of ways. But that's the magical realism kicking in. Yeah, yeah, because he because he pure magical realism, but also folk horror as fuck. Because he shows up and he just explodes the mother and yeah. father. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty white fun. smoke. As classic like seventies as you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, Power Rangers could hop down and like the tone wouldn't <laughs> even shift. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely a. Uh, it's so folky, because it's something you don't you don't think about really. Like what's what's the history, or like the fact that history obviously doesn't really, especially I suppose in Ireland, like history doesn't really extend beyond the past like eight hundred, nine hundred years. Like no, yeah. no one knows anything about the lads who built uh, Newgrange. Or doubt, or nowth, or all that stuff. Like we know nothing about any of that stuff. It's all completely up in the air. It's 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 no more. Uh, we know no more about that than we do about what Ireland will look like in a thousand years. You know? Should it's like a like a very strong argument that like the Celts weren't even Irish. Like yeah, yeah. So there was something before that. Mm, yeah. 
or the or the because never even were in Ireland that it was from trading, then that's why you have all this shit. Yeah, it could be anything. Like, like there's literally no way of yeah, knowing. Yeah, no way of knowing. Just as the same way, which you know, sort of maybe it's bad, but it's only bad if you think that you have to know everything. And uh, I think it's it's more liberating if you accept the fact that pretty much like ninety nine percent of everything that came before is something you'll never know about and you can never understand. The same way, you know, whatever comes next is something that you can never know. And you'll never understand, but you take it as it is, and you take it as it comes. And like Stephen, you're like you accept it, and you try to, you know, get along with it, vibe mm-hmm. with it, you know, find the uh, find out the, the the secrets, the truths, you know, the flame, flame of the fan, the knowledge, the knowledge, Prometheus and whatnot. Yeah, all that stuff. This universal truth. Yeah, yeah. Vibe with the universe, you know. <laughs> that's what they all said. Yeah, that's what they all <laughs> said. Like this is the universal story, and in a way, like kind of like cements itself in that like that canon. Of like this story could be told over and over and over and over again, but it would still hold the same meaning and the same message. Mm, yeah, like it's very classical in that sense. Yeah, there's so many references to different, uh, like Joan of Arc is a big thing at the end. Yeah, when uh, the Reverend is talking to to Stephen, and uh, he basically compares Joan of Arc to King Panda, talking about uh, how she they don't even know if she was Christian, even yeah. though she's like a Catholic, she, she's even a saint. Ma- yeah, yeah, I just remember know? the part. She's yeah. a saint, but they don't it know. It doesn't if, really matter. If, yeah, they don't know if she believed in God or what she saw when she was, you know, burned at the stake and like in her last moments, but it doesn't really matter because it's all basically the same thing. It's also the same, the same experience, like the same human experience, similar to Penda, um, you know, and then uh, Stephen asks, did Penda die here in this field? Which he actually didn't. He actually died like quite, quite far away in like a different few yards off yeah like a different sort of area in England but he's like uh, the reverend's like who says that he is dead and it's like that was really good mm. that was like the end line of that speech and I was like wow like that was good yeah. that was so good but uh, yeah Joan of Arc is in this is mentioned apparently because uh, David Rudkin is a big, big fan of uh, Dreyer our good friend Carl Dreyer remember that and you can tell yeah you can tell um, apparently he's a big fan of Vampire and that's why a lot of the he sort of uh, adapts like the dreams and the sort of mystic kind of folk archetypes and stuff. It works. Like, it, it does work. This is like one of those cases where like everything works and everything fits in together really, really effectively. Um, I'm just looking at my notes. Um, one of the things that I like that I feel is like really key um, is the idea of like light fighting dark or darkness and stuff like that. Manichaeism, um, yeah. like good versus evil. Yeah, I Minikinism, mean, which I try to look up and like that was too long of a Wikipedia page for me to just read and like take all in. That was mad shit. But I feel like it kinda of ties into stuff with um with like black and white understandings of the universe or, you know, reality as a whole. And that's what Steven views it as. Um but it's more than that. If you know what I mean. It's like it's more complicated than what he views it as. It's yeah. not as easy as black and white or just you know, good versus evil. They're they're two very binary terms. Yeah, and it's more complicated than than what he used the world as. Yeah, like he he, uh, what is it? He like talks about it in class. He's like, yeah, Manichaeism is a heresy. Mm. But then he asks his dad. He's like, why is it a heresy? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, and he, like that's why that's what sort of provokes his dad's big speech at the end. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about Manichaeism, but uh, but yeah, there's like a lot of references in there to like a common experience throughout history. Like Panda, Joan of Arc, Manichaeans, um Jesus. <laughs> Je- yeah, Jesus, the revolutionary yeah. Jesus. Uh 
and like stuff like the the dissenters in the English Civil War, like the diggers mm-hmm. and stuff. That's all sort of the same thing. Like people sort of default to this common experience, which you sort of uh, uh, I don't know drifted away from over time. But that's like that's like an aberration. Like this is all an aberration. This isn't the norm for for human experience. Mm-hmm. The norm is uh, what Stephen finds is uh, finds himself to be as the film goes on. You know, like that's how people have always lived. That's just like it's just part of being human. What do you think about the bit where like he talks to the guy in the wheelchair and it's the guy that made the music? Yeah, Elgar. Yeah, I thought that was a bit boring to be honest. That's a boy. That's a very boring scene. Yeah, I I sort of skipped that one this time because I've yeah. never seen it. I was like, this is this doesn't really, but it does sort of add to the themes because uh, he's uh, he's talking about the Enigma Variations, which is a piece that he did, which is uh, I don't I think it was like it wasn't completed before he died. Mm-hmm. And people are people still don't know what fits with the like the the theme like what's the counterpoint to the theme and he tells Stephen and like that's like the whole sort of conceit of the scene but I think the point is that like there's always like this sort of lacuna like this this space this open space that you you can always insert your own meaning to and it doesn't have to be a set answer it's just like that's the way it is there's always going to be uh your own space to uh like input your own meaning yeah that's basically what Stephen learns because the point isn't that Elgar tells him what the Enigma variation is. It's that Elgar basically explains it to him. Mm. And Elgar is like, the, like that scene isn't shot as a vision either. Like Elgar is actually there. Like he's just a guy in a wheelchair. Mm. He's like, there's no, he's not a ghost or like there's no like weird sort of psychedelic aspect to it. Like I think it's more about, uh, like he's always there. He's always going to be there. He's part of England. He's part of, uh, part of the landscape. He even says to Stephen, uh, if you ever hear someone whistling a tune, when you're walking around in the fields, it will be me or something like that. Mm. Which is like, oh, that's pretty creepy, but I love it. Yeah, it's You'll- so weird. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's 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 a uh, Elgar is a big part of it. The big man. Really amazing movie, Mark. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it. God bless. I think everyone should watch it. You know. I think so as well because I, th- I think it's super uh, accessible as well. I think it does help a lot knowing the history of this shit, but. You don't have to know. Really I don't yet. really know that much about it, and it mm. doesn't really. I still took away the the core message and the core theme. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't need to know really. Like it was actually, I was listening to that podcast. It was a thing in the. Uh, there was a book released, like I think two years ago or a year a year ago, Pendus Fan Handbook, and uh, it talks about this this story of uh, during the production, uh, Alan Clark took it on. And there's this misconception that you took it on as like a gig because mm. they're so different. Like Rudkin and Clark are just yeah. complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And there's this like a uh, anecdote where Clark was like, "Oh, I'll have to read all these books before I take it on. Before I say yes." And Rudkin was just like, "No, it's all in there. Like it's all in the text." And people like misinterpret it as like, "Oh, Alan, you're a fucking idiot. Just like just film the script." But it's more like you're just saying like you don't have to. Yeah, know, like it explains. And, it. Yeah, you don't have to know anything about it. It's all in there. Like. It's just, you get it, enough to get the feeling and get the understanding of what yeah. he's talking about. Yeah, it's a very basic story. It just has all these different things that you can read into it. It's a it's a whopper. Like you, you'd never see this on TV. No, you'd never. That's see this. the fucking that's mad the shit about it. Like, is that fucking BBC fucking did this? Yeah, people like millions of people in Britain sat down, like at like their fucking evening tea after work and watched this. Like, I watched, say they fucking hated it. No, they 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 loved it. They did they actually? It. Yeah, they watched Play for Today every week. No, but I feel like this, like if there's a ratings or whatever, people would have fucking hated this. I don't, I don't know. know. Oh, they, they loved uh, like weird shit. Like, like play for today is full. We of both said the same thing there at the same time. I oh, do. We? Yeah. 
Harmony. But like, yeah, like, do you, would you say that people hated this at the time, or I don't know, like, it, like, social realism, you know, Clark, oh. Ken Loach, people watched that every week. Mm. Like, people sat down. People took, loved it. Yeah, like normal working people sat down, took time out of their day to watch, uh, like complicated films, like films that challenged them and that said things. Yeah, and uh, like that was just the, the normal way things happened. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh. But, like, that's the way it was. I don't think it would have been hated, really. It's, there's not really much on, like, how it was received. But there mm. was there was a, a review in the Times the day after that said there was a... We, we saw a serious piece of television last night. Um, or something like that. Yeah, they, so, they, 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 they held they, in high regard. Yeah, they appreciated at least, like, what it ha- At least the Times did, anyway. Yeah. But, like, Play for Today is just... They should bring that back. Because it was just... Create, like, the whole catalogue. There's... I don't know how many episodes, but there's lots of episodes... And they're all like feature length, and they're just—they're all amazing. They all have like a, like they're really well written, and um, they have like a message and stuff. And uh, Penda Penda's fan is one of them, and uh, there's a few others. Robin Redbreast, um, and like I think Scum is one of them that Alan Clark did. Yeah, Scum is on my list. Yeah, they're all very very good. You should you should definitely give them a watch. Um, only thing is that they're hard to get. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Penda's fan was only re-released because people were like. Like this is probably the best play for today. Can you please make a DVD of this? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, all right. But there's so many others. Like there's there's play for today's that were lost that will never be, never be found again. You know mm. that that were filmed and broadcast and people liked it, but they lost the footage and it's yeah. gone, gone forever. But it just sort of shows like how much potential there is in uh, public broadcasting that isn't dependent on like advertising or like uh, what you can sa- do when you got a bit of money. Yeah, what you can do when you don't have to like. Uh, you don't need viewers really. You yeah. don't need to appeal to the viewer or like to not you not appeal to the viewer, more like uh you don't need to fucking talk down to them. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to go to the lowest common denominator at all times. I think Brits are good for that in general, but like it was better in better in the seventies basically. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Those are the days. Those are the days. Amazing fucking film. Amazing Mark. stuff. Amazing fucking film. Amazing stuff. I absolutely like loved it. Like an easy five on Letterbox. An easy five, absolutely, because it does it does everything that it sets out to do perfectly, and super effective because of that, and is emotive because of that, and has a great message, and it's like well acted. Like I think the acting is a bit like hammy, but I think that's kind of the point as well. Yeah, the little, very deliberate. Yeah, little uh, little Stephen, like he's he sort of hams it up, but he's mm. a hammy guy, you know, he's yeah. a hammy character. He's a uh, he's an over exaggeration of. Uh, you know what a nationalist would be like. Ah, uh, sure. We all know people like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Finne- young Finnegal, you know. Ooh, grim Bless stuff. You. Grim stuff. Yeah. God bless thee. We go for a, a break and then we go, go to the listener breaking. questions. Aye, aye. And now, on to the listener questions. If you have a question, you can hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at paro underscore pod, or you can send us an email at the pod at gmail.com aye that's that's that, that's the details that's it that's the social medias that's the socials hit us up on Bebo uh, <laughs> hit us up on Snapchat this is Snapchat going now <laughs> um, yeah but most that's importantly hit us up on Patreon <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Patreon. It's, it's here it's here to stay but yeah our first question comes in from Liam he's asking what's a movie you loved as a teen but hate now Asking for a friend. Liam went through a, a similar uh, pain 
with uh, listening or watching a uh, comet, which he loved when he's younger and he fucking hates now. Um, for me, it's not that I hate the film. I don't hate this film, but I enjoy it like significantly less. Uh, and that is uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Controversial uh, opinion. That is very controversial. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's a film that like I really loved when I was younger. But when I watched it now, I like I know the point is that you're meant to hate Scott Pilgrim, but I fucking hate Scott Pilgrim. It's like this is just insufferable. Um, but it does. It is really funny. Like a lot of the jokes still hold up pretty well. That bit where like um, knives knocks at the door. And um, Macaulay Culkin's brother opens the door. <laughs> and Scott Pilgrim's behind him. And uh, she's like, oh, is Scott there? And like he's holding the door open. He closes it like really quickly. And then uh, he's just like, oh, he's not here. And it's like, oh, where is he? And then like he jumps through the window. And it's like, oh, he just went out. <laughs> <laughs> like that's re- that's so well done. It's 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 really fucking funny. It's that um, Edgar Wright humor. That like mm. Shaun of the Dead humor. Uh, which I love. I think it's really, really funny. I think it's really well edited. But as a whole, it doesn't hold up as much as I loved it before. Um, but I still think it is like... It's not even... I don't even dislike it. Like, if I was to rate it, I'd give it a 7. 7? Yeah. So is that a, is that a 4? Or that's a 3. three. That's a 3, 7? That's a 3. Mm. So it's closer to a 6 than it is an 8. Mm. But it's because there is a lot of elements of this film that I really love. But this used to be like a fucking nine or a ten for me, nearly. Oh, really? When I was like fourteen or fifteen, when this came out, mm. or thirteen, I think it was. Yeah, it was big back in the day. Or twelve? Big. Actually, I think this is twenty eleven. Is it? When yeah. this film came out? Yeah, we're mad young, man. We're just getting old. Yeah, fucking ten years ago. When the when the when do you think this film came out? Twenty ten. Twenty ten on the nose. Oh. So it was eleven or twelve when this film came out. So and I loved it. You weren't even a teen. No, I wasn't even a teenager. But I watched it again when I was a teenager. Like, I think I watched it when I was, like, 12. Or, yeah, I think it was 12 or something, or 13. And I loved it. And then I watched it again when I was, like, 15, 16. Which is still the peak time to like that film, nearly. That's the peak time in general, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, watched it again last year. And I didn't enjoy it that much. Or the year before. Recently enough. But, um, yeah, it just kind of fell down a bit. I don't know. Yeah, things just change. But I still appreciate the film, but like it was more like Scott Pilgrim as a character and like just characters as a whole in the film just became way more insufferable and really annoying to be around. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say uh, Clash of the Titans. I, I don't like I found it hard to uh, come up with with something for this question, but Clash of the Titans. I used to love Clash of the Titans. 2010. Well, I wasn't even a teenager, but um I used to think it was amazing. And it's the scene where the Kraken shows up, that is still amazing. Mm. And Liam Neeson's still pretty cool as Zeus or whatever. But, like, it's not that good. Yeah. I, I also used to think, uh, remember 2012? Ye- the film? Yes, yes, yes. With, yes. Uh, what's his name? Cusack? Yeah. And uh, Woody Harrelson. I used to, I walked out of that cinema and I was like, that's the greatest film I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. That's what I said. I literally said that. I remember the look, I think it was my dad. The look he gave me, he was like, are you for real? And I was like, yeah, because I just thought it was so cool the way things just like exploded mm. and stuff, and like, uh, but then like when you think about it, every set piece is the exact same. It's just them running away from an explosion. Yeah, through the entire film, and the whole thing where like the nu- the neutrinos are mutating and stuff. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> I used to think twenty twelve was amazing. I used to love that film. It's not science fiction. That's why it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, what else? 
Oh, wait, wait. Hot take. Hot fuzz. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, I used to... I loved Hot Fuzz. I've always loved Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is still amazing. I, th- I still think it's good, but I watched it uh, a few months ago, and I just didn't laugh as much. I think it was because uh, World's End really ruined that whole trilogy for me. That's, yeah, same. World's End is, is not a good film. It's rubbish. Yeah. It's, it's just bad. But I still feel like, should I return to it? World's End? I would not return to it. I didn't laugh. How many times have you seen laugh. it? I watched it twice, I think. Ah, uh, see, I've only watched it the once. Yeah, I remember I came out of the cinemas and I was like, uh it's like one of those things where you pretend it's good, but then you have to, you, over time, you accept the fact that it actually wasn't. Because I remember watching that at home and being like, that was mad disappointing. Yeah, I was like, that's it's so disappointing. I don't know what it is. It's just, the spark isn't there. I don't know what it is. It's just not funny. It's just not funny. Yeah. And I don't know, I was just like, the, the same effects are still there, but I just don't enjoy them this time. Mm. Which is almost like, I think, that's a very, that's a that's an arc that I've just noticed there with Edgar Wright as a whole, where it's like, Shaun of the Dead, amazing, love that film. Mm. Hoffa's, amazing, I love that film. Uh, and then I think it's Scott Pilgrim. I'm like, that's a, you know, that's okay. Um, and then, World's End. World's End. And then Baby Driver. And I think Baby Driver is actually Edgar Wright's worst film. Really? Worse than World's End? Yeah, I think so. That yeah. film's whole thing is just like, it's set the music. Mm. That's literally all the film is doing. Yeah, he's pretty, uh, I, I I wouldn't say one note, but like, like it's everything is, uh, the style sort of gets old. Mm. Or something like that. Which Did, is a fault that I have with Wes Anderson as well. Yeah. Did he do uh, Ant-Man? Or is that Edgar Wright? I feel like that's a, that's a, I feel like that's a thing. Yeah, or was he going to do it? Or he wrote it out. or something. Yeah, he pulled, I think maybe he pulled out or something. But um, yeah, World's End. World's End is not good. But that doesn't explain why I watched Hot Fuzz again, and I was like, "This isn't as good as I remember." And I don't don't know why it was. Like it just wasn't. It wasn't as funny. My timeline is correct. I'm so happy. Hot Fuzz came out four years or three years before Scott Pilgrim, so that actually is the timeline. There you go. But I do agree. I think I think Shaun of the Dead holds up way better than Hot Fuzz. Yeah. And um, but Hot Fuzz is still good. It's still good. It's just I remember it be I remember it being so funny and like being like laugh out loud kind of thing. And then I watched it again, I was like, it's funny, but it's not it's not that good. What do I have Shaun of the Dead rated Because if it's I'm just thinking now. That deserves more than a four for me. That's a five. It's a five. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> we had to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> That's too good. Um, it's a five, like for me. It's a five. Um, but, John of the Dead, uh, Hot Fuzz is definitely a four. And I think World's End is maybe a two or a three. A three at the very fucking most. That's a two for me. Yeah, it's, I think it's a two That's for a me two. as well. So I think it's a two and a half. Yeah, it's just, it's just flat. Fuck. Yeah, and then I don't know, Baby Driver. Like I remember liking it at the start at the time, but I feel like that's a film as well that I might go back to and just dislike. Because the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. So experiencing, I was like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> Ansel Elgort, yeah, sort of fallen. Spacey, Sp- yeah, that didn't like really, I, that didn't hate. Yeah, well like I've seen, the, I saw that film before, like all the Kevin Spacey stuff came out. Yeah, yeah. So imagine going back to it now. It's like this. He's grooming this kid. Yeah, and the kid himself is a bit weird. The kid himself has a few, you know, bits about him or whatever. A few, uh, few cancellations happening. But you yeah. know, 
You got the music and everything. It's like, this is so up its own hole. Yeah, yeah. Soundtrack's great, though. Soundtrack is great, but a soundtrack, a soundtrack, a soundtrack doesn't save a film. Yeah, that's very true. And the problem is, as well, is that, like, it's to the beat. And I remember liking some of it, but I remember just being like, this is growing old really fast, and the story's a bit fucking boring. Yeah, well, like, all his films are, like, time to the music, aren't they? You There's know? bits with their time to the music. Like, do you know this? You know the bit in, uh, like, World's End is horrible for it. When they're doing like the pub crawl, mm. and every pub they go into, like they do the, the thing with the pints and stuff, but it's like too, it's too perfect. It's too, uh, it's too on the nose. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like not in, in like a different sense almost. It's like it just it shouldn't be like that's not natural. It shouldn't be like that. Or it's too stylized maybe or something like that. It just uh, it just rubs off the wrong way. It ain't right. Edgar Wright, get a different gimmick. Yeah, do something new, bro. <laughs> new. Switch it up. Um, and then uh, question number two. Mary asks, what are your thoughts on Robin Williams as an actor? I don't think he got the credit he deserved. What do you think of Mark? I think I completely agree with Mary here. I think so. I think he's saying uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, <laughs> Dead Post Society. The Genie. Aladdin. Amazing. Aladdin. Amazing performance. Aladdin. What else are you in? One hour Good photo. morning, Vietnam. Yeah, I've never seen that. Um, what's that one with Matt Damon? Um, oh, Good Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. He's Amazing good in that. that. He's actually very good. He's in that. very good in that. Yeah. Um, but like the genie, like I fucking love Aladdin. I love Aladdin. It's amazing. Mm. Even though it, you know, that's a film that's aged, but it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like the genie in it is so fucking good. He's so charismatic. He's so much fun. Um, I remember hearing this thing before. I have no idea whether or not this is true or not. But hearing this thing that like. When uh, when the Oscars came around, that like Disney like through like the qualifications of having to nominate something, they they weren't allowed to nominate Aladdin because Robin Williams went off the script too much and he did too much ad lib. What? Yeah, that's a lot of bollocks. So he changed the script basically because he would just go off on his own and do whatever he wanted, <laughs> and that would change the script then. So the, like yeah. the script wasn't used as much as much to be to allow it to be you know nominated for like best adapted screenplay. Because the screenplay in the film, like said, and the screenplay written were two different things. That's so cool. Yeah, like, but like, it I've had heard... to be in an adapted screenplay. Yeah, really. That's no, so... no, it wasn't even allowed to, allowed to be an adapted screenplay or something like that. Really, that's so weird. Oh no, maybe it was originally. I yeah. don't know, something like that. Yeah, something yeah. with the screenplay. That's but mad. I don't know if that's true or not. But it's to like emphasize how much he went off the script in that movie and how good he is in that movie from doing that. Yeah, he's one of those like he's like Jim Carrey, like one of those. Like generational kind of talents. Mm. Like you ever see his interviews? Yeah, like Mad SNL. Yeah, yeah. Like his his in, like in his interviews, like he like he was like that in real life. Yeah. Like he was just a naturally funny guy. He was like someone. Yeah, like we all know someone who's like just like naturally fu- like everything they say is funny. Yeah. Like that's what he was. Like he, everything he had a response to everything, um, which is probably why he was so sad. I suppose, yeah, which like, is the sad truth about him. Yeah, because he like he could never really be serious. I suppose. Yeah. Like there's an interview he does about his his coke addiction that I saw. And uh, like every, like he's so funny in it. Yeah. Well, it's not a funny interview. It's like yeah. it's with like sixty minutes or something like that. And they're like, "Oh, how do you feel about being like an addict?" And he's like, "He, he has this fucking. He has like a, a response to everything she says, like like a one liner." Mm. And it's so funny, but it's also like this guy can't. I like how is he like that all the time? Like he yeah. can't actually sit down. He's and talk always to a performer. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, but he was literally funny in everything he ever did. Yeah, he he was a he was a king, like 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 Jim Carrey, you know. I like just naturally. And Jim Carrey like also a very sad person. 
yeah, yeah. In a different way, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But Robin Williams is amazing and he's an amazing actor. Um and I think more people are starting to realise that now after his death that like yeah he was a fucking amazing actor like even in fucking uh, Dead Poets Society really really good in it really really good mm. and I think he got the nomination for it I'm not entirely sure but I think he did mm, he's great in that like um, let me check the the IMDB yeah um, he's in one hour photo as well which is on Amazon I haven't seen that yet but it's on my list I've heard that's good or it's on Disney one of them Done something. I think that feels like mad Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But that's uh, that's on my list. I have to watch that. I was supposed to watch it there last night, but I did not do it. I failed. I failed you, Robin. Oh, you won an Oscar. Oh, and you won it for fucking uh, Goodwill Hunting. Oh, really? Yeah, so you won it for that at least. And he's amazing in that as well. So that key scene where like he's like went to farting, that, that was ad lib. In what? In a uh, Goodwill Hunting. Oh yeah, yeah. The bit where like he's talking about like his wife Hardy. Yeah, yeah. That was off the script. <laughs> yeah. And it's like one of the key scenes. Yeah. Yeah, like how? I don't know. Like how do you do that? How do you have the balls to do that? You know. In every film. Mm. And everything that you're in, you're just like. Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire was just all ad lib. Yeah. Like, he wasn't supposed to be dressed up as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the film was just like, what is record, Bob Williams? <laughs> It's a documentary. It's just like a fucking Nathan <laughs> for you episode. <laughs> but that's the talent that he had. Yeah, yeah. What a guy. What a guy. A visionary. Then Neil asks, what time period would you set your film in? If we were to make a film, what time period would we set it in? Okay, I want to... I want to... I want to put some uh, barriers to this, right? Okay, let's do it. So I We want, need constraints. I want one from the past... Mm. One from now, oh, and one from the future. Damn! So we're having se- settings as well. Yeah. Okay. One from the past, one from now, one from yeah. the future. Damn. Okay. Uh, I'd definitely go for it. for the past. I'd definitely go for an expansion on the English Civil War. The lads, mm. you know, Pendus fan. Um, there was a, there was a film I watched ages ago, which is sort of like that. It's called Win Stanley. It's about Gerard Win Stanley, who was a like a Puritan kind of leader, mm-hmm. leader of the diggers back in the, the English Civil War, the real guy. And uh, he was all, he was like a basically like a proto-socialist. He wasn't just about, um, you know, killing the king or whatever. He's about like leveling property ownership and stuff like that. But he had an interest in life. Like he, uh, he represented his cow in court. Someone sued his cow and he represented it in court, <laughs> stuff like that. It's just like weird shit like that. Like back then, it's just a very strange time. Like Pendus Fan says, like we can't, really understand it now i think you could exploit that to a to really cool extent in film and mm-hmm. that hasn't really been done like you don't really see stuff about it. you could do it in ireland as well yeah you could do same the s- same thing in ireland yeah you could talk about the medieval lads or uh but you have a set like during the celtic tiger or something <laughs> yeah in the middle of offley during the celtic tigers <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna represent me cow it's like i don't know maybe but yeah yeah ireland would also be good uh good sort of fodder for that as well I feel like we need one more famine movie. Yeah, they could do it. Maybe do it with the, the famine in the 1700s. You know, do a different famine movie. Or maybe one more World War Two movie. We need another, yeah, another World War Two film. Yeah, yeah, just That'll one more. That's yeah. what I'd make. <laughs> um, what would I make? I think there's a lot of mad periods in time mm, that I think true. are mad interesting, like. A film that deals with like a proper, you know, 
uh, big budget film that deals with like the Russian Revolution or something like that. That would be mad interesting. Rasputin. Or like, yeah, a film about Rasputin and just as a whole, just as a figure and how much of a weirdo he was. Yeah, what was he doing? That'd be mad interesting. Something in South America. Yeah, uh, yeah. Either during the Conquistador area or uh, during like, you know, Im- American imperialism. Because there's some wild shit that went on during that. Yeah, Allende or something, you know. And do magical realism involved in that as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, you could do loads of shit with that time period. There's mm-hmm. a load of cool periods in time. Even in Ireland as well. Yeah. Like, just during the Civil War and stuff like that. Yeah. Even, yeah, even go back to, like... 1916. Yeah, yeah. Troubles. Or the Confederate Wars. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of films. There's, there's a lot of wars, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of wars. But I was going to say, there's a lot of films about the Troubles. So maybe not that, but, like, yeah. you know. For a present period, though, it's quite it's quite difficult, isn't it? Mm. Like, what would you say? You could do a few things. I feel like you could do like, like a really contained horror film, through isolation and lockdown. Mm. But where? Anywhere. Anywhere. Like that could be the point. It oh. could be any like. Yeah. Anywhere. And he goes crazy. Yeah, and he gets coronavirus. And he gets coronavirus. Somehow. Or just like, you know, Ireland during lockdown. Or <laughs> <Just> maybe <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like you do a film about, you know, America. Like some of these QAnon people that are like realizing like yeah, yeah. the truth wasn't real. Yeah, like I don't know how you go about because it's so hard. That's an interesting subject matter though. Mm. What QAnon? Or just the idea of like uh, someone like... Mysticism and stuff. Mysticism, but like... D like reclimatizing after a cult kind of aspect, yeah, like a post cult film, people that are really into Scientology or something like it, but it represents something bigger than that, yeah, or the rise of cults, you know, cults are more, yeah, like mysticism is more common now. You could do something about that, you know, and people are like, forget about logic and stuff, let's go into this, let's pretend that a guy called Q is running the United States, yeah, Q. <laughs> Wojak is president. <laughs> Pepe is yeah. the vice president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have some like magical realist film, like inside an incel's head during lockdown, where Wojak and, and Pepe are Man, president a, and vice president. That is a Black Mirror episode in the, <laughs> in the making. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they already made that. Yeah. But, like, what other like interesting time periods are going on? Like fucking something like another film about like fucking Syria or the Middle East and stuff like that. Syria would be cool. But, like, what can you say about it, you know? It's fucked. Like, try to, like, authentically represent it. But, like, you know, you can't really do that, I know. But, like, you know. Or maybe, uh, I don't know, Mexico. Something like that. Like, what's going up with Aaron in Vancouver? Like, just We need a film make about a documentary, Aaron. Make a documentary <laughs> with that. Aaron in fucking Vancouver. Yeah, exactly. What, what are they Make getting? it mad gummo vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Him he, and Graham. Bathing in his own filth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Something like that. Yeah, that would work. One of those ones. Yeah, well, something like that, you know. Be grand. And then the future. The future. Ooh, that's a good one, you know. Very similar to the past. I want a film that's set in uh, Shanghai in 2095. Yeah. Something like that. China. China, you know, they're going to do something. China. That's where things are going to happen. Something weird is going to happen there. That's guaranteed the next century. So I want I want the film set there during that time. Yeah, like what's going on? What's going Like, we don't know. What's happening? That's the thing. We don't know. Yeah. Maybe go for, for a present film as well. Like a, a proper film about China. Or maybe a film here in 2100. What, what's going to happen here, you know? Mm. 
fucking skyscrapers in Lusk. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking Longford finally gets used. Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Longford is like the, the tech hub of Europe or something. <laughs> or it's like the capital of Ireland. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's only because all the robots rose up and took everywhere else. <laughs> and they're like, you humans, you can keep Longford. <laughs> <laughs> the last stronghold. The planet of the robots. Yeah. And the humans are based out of Longford town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah like if it's just something in the future, like the Elon Musk Mars and like the civil war that has broken out after that. Yeah, planet. Yeah, the war, the planets. Planetary war. But they're companies. Yeah. It'd just be like Elysium, though. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. But something different. Something better something than that. Something better than that, yeah. Something more realistic. I'm trying to think. Or maybe like a post-nuclear war. But that's mad. That's done. That's That's done. Yeah, that's been done. That's that's been done to bits. Global warming. No film has really dealt with global warming. Yeah, global warming. warming. You know? A water world, but done better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you do when, like, the sea level's risen? You know, your crops aren't doing too well. There's pandemics every year. Uh, You know, like, what's going on? Like, the soil is fucked. Like, there's all these mad scenarios that, like... Or, like, the the ice caps have melted and suddenly mm. everyone's rushing for the for the oil underneath there. It's like, there's so many things you could you could do with that. Or how about, right, a communist film where, oh. like, it's a complete utopia. <laughs> a complete utopia? There's no, no, no tension, no, no character development? The capitalists are trying to rise up. Oh, yeah, and they're the good guys. <laughs> and they're the good guys. That's basically just Hunger Games and, like, Divergent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Or I'm mad inter- interdimensional shit. Like Interstellar. Yeah, but better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need one about the DMT elves. Yeah, the DMT elves have crossed a realm of reality and come into our... <laughs> Planet of the DMT elves. Yeah. Please fund my film. Fuck yeah. me. Fuck me. You leave at that? <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to add to any of that shit. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you went past the breaking point. I can't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Point break is gone. Well, so should we leave it that then? We'll leave it there. Um, shit's my recommendation. Oh, have you not thought about this? I have. What are you thinking? And I have decided that um, I'm thinking about a little uh, a little film. Hello, this is Owen, and uh, I've actually decided to change my uh, my film recommendation for episode 30 so what we're going to be looking at is a little film by the name of But I'm a Cheerleader uh, directed by Jamie Babbitt uh, came, came out in 1999 and I think this is available on YouTube um, so check it out that is what we're going to be talking about for episode 30 sorry for changing my mind <laughs> so that's what we're let's doing let's do it two weeks from now please. episode 31 31 31 man we're getting old getting old bro getting old in our thirties, yeah, no, man, we're getting old. <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> All right, see you, everyone. Bye, right, bye, bye, bye.